As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Summer's here, so are the Scorpions. Get a hold of Green Mango Pass Control. Call them at 480-717-8174. GreenMangoPass.com. You don't want scorpions. You don't want mosquitoes. Mosquito season is here. Monsoons, summer, mosquitoes. GreenMangoPass.com. A lot of exterminators, they won't even offer mosquito treatments because they really can't. But Green Mango can, and they do. And they're giving you 50% off your first mosquito treatment so you and the family can hang outside. Don't wait. Take advantage of this right now. Green Mango Pest. Com. Very, very, very honored tonight to have Stefan Verstappen with us. Stefan has lived the examined life as Socrates would have liked. At, at a young age, he learned actual practical skills and, skills and traits useful for survival and thriving in nature. His life would take him into a variety of experience where he succeeded in making the most of them. He studied Kung Fu and various martial arts and even went to China where he was taught by legendary masters. He traveled many places and has seen many things. Mr. Verstappen has been teaching what he has learned almost since he began his journey. He's an expert in survival, first aid, and various artisan arts. He's humble to a fault, a soft-spoken Renaissance man, but be careful Underneath that polite Canadian veneer is the noble heart of a true warrior. <laughs> He's the author of eight books, including The Master's Guide to the Way of the Warrior, The Art of Urban Survival, and 36 Ancient Chinese Strategies. He's been on many excellent podcasts over the past four years, and I'm honored to have him here tonight with us. And uh, that's, that's, that's my intro. If you want to add to that, sir, please go ahead. No, no, you covered it really well. Thanks, Daniel. Appreciate that. Very nicely written. I don't usually do guests and podcasts, so this is like the first time for me, and I start off with an amazing human being. So I'm, <laughs> I'm just, uh, I'll get the jitters away in a moment. Yeah, no problem. Take your time. Relax. Um, I always like to keep these things informal, anyways. Just like talking to an old friend, you know, that kind of kind of thing but uh, and uh, thanks daniel for your support i really appreciate it it wasn't necessary i would come on the show anyways but uh, the quarter million in the swiss bank account in my name <laughs> really <laughs> nice of you. i appreciate that yeah if i had it i would give it <laughs> <laughs> all right well as i was talking to george and i think i sent the email to both of you guys not that I'm a huge Gematria guy, I don't really know too much about it, but today is nine days away from 9-11, which would be, you know, and maybe we should, uh, I don't know, maybe start there, talk about what we think about that, you know, 
did we already know? I I know you said, Stefan, that you knew something was up the moment it happened. I was actually in the Coast Guard at the time, and I uh, was in Cabo San Lucas. Somebody woke me up. I, um, we were in the Best Western out there. You know, you always live better than the natives, which I, I felt weird about in the first place. Because you look around and you see buildings that have like three walls and there's a, a burning barrel and a family. And then you go to your nice little ritzy place and it just makes you feel like a terrible human. So anyway, they woke me up and brought me into another room where we watched the second plane hit. And you're already in that fog of being in the military or some kind of you know service. So I, I don't think I was quite there yet to really be able to uh, filter out the bullshit until years later. You know, I mean, I didn't, I don't know if I 100% knew it was Muslims, but I actually felt like a camaraderie. Like they really, they did a good job mm-hmm. making everybody feel like they came together for, for a cause, even though the cause was false. And even though the perpetrators are the ones that were, you know, involved in, you know, trying to, trying to rally the troops. So I don't know if you guys want to take it from there or whatever. I was, uh, um, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, George. Uh, I was no, sa- George. I was in a similar situation. I was stationed at Schofield, uh, Schofield Barracks, Hawaii, actually on the the air side on Wheeler Army Airfield. And it was, uh, obviously, it was a lot earlier. It was five in the morning, maybe. And um, in the military, I don't know if you guys did this in the Coast Guard, but every six months, we'd have to do our 12-mile road march. And we were actually in the middle of our 12-mile road march. Um, and we started to hear things, something's going on. Uh, in New York City. And then as soon as it started going down to the Pentagon, we were all alerted back uh, to our units. And the same, I did not see the first one live, but I did see the second one live. And so while I I spent most of my military career as a logistician, for the first part, I was a combat engineer. I worked a lot with C4, deck cord, those type of things. And I understand how to bring things down. And there was something, and, and of course, I wasn't nearly awake as I, as I am today over the last five years or whatever. But there was something, the same kind of feeling where something's not right. Heat rises, it doesn't go down. These buildings, I remember being told as a kid, were meant to sustain these type of incidents from happening. As a matter of fact, back in 19, in the 40s, there was a plane that flew into a building in New York City on a Saturday. Uh, it was a combat plane. And the following Monday, the building was opened back up. So while there was a lot of things I had questions about, I was in a line of work where, I mean, we knew we were going to war. I wasn't going to see my family for a while. So I didn't have time to, to sit down and, and get into the reasoning. Stefan? Yeah. Uh, well, listen, I, I've been awake for a long time, so... Um I told the story on the last time I was on the Jeff Wrench show that uh, when I was just, uh, I think, about 16 years old, I went down to the University of Toronto to score some pots <laughs> at uh, a student dorm called uh, Rochdale. Uh, we used to call it Rochdale. And I remember one of the students there in the dorm, he's telling me the story. He said, oh, did you know that the CIA are experimenting with mind control and they're giving LSD to uh, uh, housewives here in Canada? Well, this was the most ridiculous conspiracy story I ever heard. The CIA is conducting mind control experiments in Canada, in in Montreal, and and they're g- giving housewives LSD to try and mind control them. You know, this this is like the first time I'd ever heard of a conspiracy theory. Although 
to be honest with you, I did read about JFK, and I knew it certainly wasn't Harvey Oswald that killed him. Sure. And so I was on to that already, but, you know, so I'm, uh, I'm okay. I've heard of conspiracy theories. I certainly believe in the JFK conspiracy theory. They still haven't caught who really killed him. Uh, and then, but this story about CIA in Canada, LSD was, ah, it was ridiculous. Well, turned out a couple of years later, it broke in the newspapers and the mainstream media and, uh, on a TV documentary similar to 60 Minutes that, uh, the CIA was indeed in the, uh, McGill University, Medical University. And the head doctor, Ewan Cameron, was actually conducting experiments on housewives. So a woman would be referred to the, and again, this is a medical university in Montreal, Canada, right? And a woman would be feeling, you know, anxious or maybe a little bit depressed or something. And her therapist would recommend her to go to the university to get treatment. And what they did is they put him in a medically induced coma, fed them huge amounts of LSD, gave them extreme bouts, uh, extreme sessions of electroshock therapy all the while with headphones on their head and what they call a driving uh, a program where they keep repeating a loop and they kept them this way for two weeks at a time and these women came out and they were destroyed their minds were gone they couldn't remember things their personality was destroyed and they never recovered and this is you know just you go to the doctor you say oh, I, I have headaches or i feel a little bit depressed and the next thing you know um you're in a coma and, you know, the families didn't know what was going on. Nobody knew what was going on. But there you go. You see a conspiracy between government and universities and the medical establishment and doctors and and in another country. You know, you, you would think, well, okay, maybe that happens in the States, but why would they, CIA be in Canada? Hmm. Well, there you go. So when I realized that that was possible, then I thought anything was possible. So on 9-11, I was in California, same thing. I got a wife woke me up at 6 o'clock in the morning. Oh, you got to see this. It's on TV. And I watched the second plane hit the tower. I watched the tower collapse. And I went, that's impossible. It's impossible. There's no way that this building, what was it, 98 stories, 90 stories, 100 stories, could collapse straight down. That is impossible. It cannot happen. The only way that could, like if it had really been a jet uh, that hit him, hit it, then I would expect, well, maybe the top, uh, the few floors above where the jet entered the building, but only at the front of the building, I wouldn't expect the whole uh, um top floor so class but i could you know i would expect maybe the front sections of the top uh five floors above the impact site they could have collapsed sort yeah. of stopped in right and uh, maybe slid out and down but then for the whole thing to collapse floor by floor into its own footprint i knew no that's not that's not possible so what you do is you you become like sherlock holmes famous saying you eliminate the impossible and whatever is left, no matter how unbelievable, must be the truth. So eliminate the impossible. It wasn't the jets that brought it down. So I knew the only way to bring that kind of building down is controlled demolition. Now, to, they would somebody would have had to place C4 or plastic or whatever it is 
on every support bill, uh, pillar or, or load-bearing pillar in the entire building from top to bottom. So that's, you know, you're looking at 100 floors. I don't know how many pillars were in there, probably 25, 50. Um, you're like looking 47. at 47. There yeah. you go. Okay. So you're looking at 47 load-bearing pillars on oh, stretched out over 100 floors, but maybe they just did every other floor. So let's say 50 floors. The amount of explosives would have been multiple tons of the stuff, right? And so how would the terrorists sneak into this building, go floor to floor, carrying 100 tons of explosives, and then cordage? Because I I don't know if they did it by uh, remote control, uh, you know, radio detonation. I doubt it because I think a radio detonation would be really tricky. You know, you you set up three buildings, <laughs> you know, with with two hundred tons of explosives, and um, and and then you're going to detonate it off by radio control, and hope that somebody's uh, g- garage door opener doesn't detonate it first. So I would think they would have to. Uh, uh, I think they wired it so the cordage would have stretched tens of miles if not hundreds of miles of cordage now are we to believe that terrorists snuck into the building with carrying hundreds of tons of explosives and a hundred miles of cordage and went floor to floor or every other floor and exposed the support uh, bearing uh, columns and wired the stuff up impossible so again you know there uh, the funny thing about that building too is it had like a skeletal shell like a bug like that, that frame, it wasn't just the support beams in the center and whatever, however they space them out, but it actually had like a shell. And yeah. when you see it, when it folds open like this at the, at the bottom of one of the buildings, when it comes down, I mean, that, that was built in a way that it wasn't, was never supposed to be able to fall. And um, I believe it was a really old Freeman TV episode where he is interviewing a man who said he was on the project for the building of the towers and someone had come in and asked them where they would need to place, you know, explosive devices should they ever have to take down the building. And maybe they maybe it was built with them in there. I don't know, because that would at least be a little bit more practical as far as like the semantics. I mean, like, yeah, OK, maybe you put you, you shut down a floor and those guys don't go to work that day while you put while you set stuff up. But isn't it like. 80 something floors, like how many days were people like on the rotation that are getting, you know, retrofitted or whatever? Like people would remember something like that. They would remember that, oh, they did maintenance on our floor two weeks ago or something like that. Or, you know what I mean? In every single floor, it just to me seems like it would have to already be in it or there was a sonic weapon or something like that utilized that, you know, shook it and made it come down. You know, it was already weakened or whatever. But that structure itself, I don't even understand how that could even go down that way. It's almost as if they were using small nuclear devices in strategic areas. Micro micro nukes, like apparently, may have caused Fukushima. So, yeah. Well, something that took it down, and it wasn't no airplane. It wasn't no, right, right. No. Fourteen uh, Saudis with box cutters. <laughs> so, immediately, uh, it's an inside job. So, whoever rigged it up. Uh, had to have controlled the buildings, had to have owned them. Right. It, couldn't, it couldn't have been, you know, like an employee snuck in after hours. It couldn't have been uh, somebody that rented one of the floors. It couldn't even have been the security company 
that they hire to guard the buildings um, because, it, again, it would cost too much attention yeah, right. to bringing in all these explosives and things like that. I, I, I still tend to think that it was, um, uh, you know, uh, the kind of explosives they used to take down, uh, you know, the buildings because you did see afterwards, you know, the puffs of smoke floor by floor. But yes. it, it could have been something else, too. But whatever it was, we knew it was an inside job. So that brings right. us to the who's the culprit? Well, the first culprit is Larry Silverstein. He's the only one that could have had the power to cover up and make excuses for why all this work was being done on the building. And, of course, we know now that he was so lucky that day not to go into work because he had a dentist appointment. But, um, but so number one suspect, Larry Silverstein, uh, number two suspect, Israel, because uh, and number three suspect, the Bush administration. Now, on that topic of Israel, what we're seeing right now is apparently they have 80 percent of their population vaccinated and they have the highest count of death and all kinds of problems going on. According to them, it's because of the virus and not the, the shot. But I think we all know the real story there. Yep. So it's like, is it? I mean, do you, do you blame the Jays or do you blame their government? I mean, because it seems like they're being murdered just as quickly and maybe first in this whole scenario now that we fast forward to 20 years later. And, you know, it's to me, it's just as much as, yes, the same groups of people seem to show up in all the bad places. There is there a dividing line? Like, is there, okay, well, these are Orthodox people and they're not part of it. And these are the the Khazarians and they are part of it or, you know, the, the Ashkenazi and they are, you know, like what, what is the truth? Is it, I'm sure it's meant to be confusing. I mean, if you really want to go back to like, um, Genghis Khan, he encountered lots of people and they usually didn't survive to tell their story. When he met the Khazarians, they buddied up. <laughs> so, and if you look at old depictions, they're saying that he was a blonde haired, blue eyed guy. He wasn't really an Asian at all. And they said right. the same thing about Buddha and other things. Like they were what they now call Indo-European, but most people would call either Cro-Magnon or, or Aryan, right. which is kind of strange. But I don't know. I don't know if that really meant to go anywhere. I would just throw that in there as well. <laughs> yeah, sure. well the answer to your question is um, it's always an inner circle within a population group. So it's not the Jays. It's not all the Jays. I mean, I, I used to be an honorary Jay. I knew so many uh, Jews that um, uh, I was best friends. I was dating them. I was banging their wives. I was going to, because <laughs> you know. <laughs> so uh, and everybody said, "Oh, God, boy, Steph, you're just like a Jew. You're an honorary Jew." You know. So yeah, and I got I got along well with them. I always get along well with Jews. And one of the reasons is the Jews appreciate smart people. <laughs> yes, if you have if you have like actual skills and value you're appreciated yeah. by at least them right yeah whereas my own people tend to look at you with with envy and and contempt so would that be uh, german or you mean canadians canadians yeah canadians but also you know mostly caucasians you know uh, we don't really support each other a lot look at what's happened to us Are, do we have each other's backs no, no we don't no and uh we we're always you know backstabbing and bickering and and uh you know, uh, trying to one-up one everybody. Um, so, no, I don't get along very well with Canadians. And 
not necessarily get along very well with Caucasian. It's not like I say, oh, there's some white guys. Now we can all get along together because it doesn't happen that way. We, yeah. we, don't, we don't have the kind of bonds and communities that Jews do. The Jews, when they see other Jews, they, they fit in right away. And, and uh, you know, if a Jew wants to start up a business, he goes to the rabbi and said, Rabbi, I need some money. I'm going to start a business. And, you know, by the end of the week, there's $50,000 in donations from all the Jews in the, in the synagogue wishing you good luck to start your new business. And, uh, I mean, they support each other, um, which is something, you know, I've been trying to teach people here to do that, you know, to get through what we're going through. We need to work together, but I just, I can't get people to cooperate. I just can't do it. So what happens is then it's not, you know, all the J's. Um, the J's, however, throughout history have sort of been a Petri dish from which these evil sons of bitches spring. So right. it's not all of them, but they, they tend to produce more than their fair share of scoundrels in history. Like Nathan Agaza, who said that, you know, Sabbatai Zevi was the second coming of the Messiah. And then right. the Sabbateans kind of brought forth Jacob Frank. And then the Frankists were all about blood sacrifice, you know, sodomy, killing children, eating them. Like all that stuff was introduced in the 1700s, right around when Myram Shal Rothschild and um, the Jesuits, the other, because, I mean, basically the Frankists kind of overcame the Jesuits when they came to be. The Jesuits themselves were created by Muranos, which were crypto Jews trying to escape yeah. the Inquisition. That's so right. I didn't I didn't know that at first. So when people argue, is it this J or that J, it's like we're really not talking about anything different here. Yeah. I mean, they were the ones that you would consider to be the um the mal- the malignant force created the Jesuits and yeah. just hid underneath the Christian motif so they didn't have to be, you know, which is something, <laughs> right. something they always do is hide under a false facade and, yep. you know, change yep. their names, change their identities. It goes on and on. I've traced it all the way back to, uh, you know, 2000 BC, where they were doing exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. The so, cult of Baal, even. Yeah. Yeah. Cult of Baal, too. Yeah. So when I say it was Israel, I don't mean it was, you know, because, uh, you know, where I taught uh, martial arts for a number of years for about eight years. The owner of this school was uh, an Israeli commando and he taught to Krav Maga and I was the head instructor there and we got along, you know, and we had a lot of Israelis coming to the club because uh, he was an Israeli and so we had IDF there all the time and a lot of Russian mafia was coming to the club. I love Russians. I don't know if I love the mafia, but I love love Russians. You know what I'm saying? People have a nice community too. They used to support each other back in the day. I'm thinking from the New Yorker mentality, even though I lived in upstate, like there was mostly Italians and Irishmen that lived next to me. And like, that was our whole small town. There wasn't a whole lot of diversity there. And we mm-hmm. took care of each other, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, most of the Russian mafia is, uh, is Jewish. So we, that's why we had so much Russian mafia in there. Oh, okay. Yeah. I even trained a femme, la femme Nikita. Really? <laughs> oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, no, there was this, uh, this, this bride was brought in, uh, Moni, the boss, the Israeli guy says, so Stefan, you want to do some private lessons? I said, yeah, sure. How much? He said, 150 bucks an hour. I said, okay. <laughs> so this limo would pull up once a day and it was all this Russian mafia guys. And and in those days they all wore that, you know, the Doc Martens and then the, the kind of green vinyl jackets. And so, you know, three of these Russian mafia guys came out and then they brought with them this girl 
that was drop dead gorgeous. I mean, she was one of these women where just watching her come into the door, I started getting erect. Now that is extremely <laughs> rare. That, that is oh, so yeah, Josh TV. That almost <laughs> ever happened to me. But just the way she walked in the door, she just exuded the sexuality. She was insane. So I'm teaching her Krav Maga and, and self-defense and all that kind of stuff. And then afterwards, we go for a coffee, and I'm talking to her, and she's telling me this story. She says, oh, I'm being trained by a Russian mafia head. And I went, oh, okay. I know she's a stripper, right? And, you know, strippers are <laughs> they're a, little, they're a little bit wacky. So when she started telling me these stories about the Russian mafia, I'm going, yeah, okay, she's a little bit wacky. And I said, and, and then what else? She says, well, what they're training to me to be, because the, the boss really liked the movie La Femme Nikita, and he wanted to train me to be like her. So um, we set up a, a situation where I was going to perform my first kill. And I said, really? How, how did that happen? She said, well, they put me on the street corner down in the prostitute section of Toronto, and I was supposed to pick up a John, take him to a hotel room, and kill him just to get practice in killing people. And I said, okay. I'm thinking, oh, my God. This broad is really out of it. And uh, I said, so what happened? Candid talk for somebody she doesn't know if she can trust or not. Well, exactly. You know, first of all, number one rule, you know, omerta, right? Keep your mouth shut. But anyway, she was telling me this story. And, uh, you know, I questioned her. I said, and and she says, and they're taking me to a pistol range. And I said, okay, here's where I'm going to catch her. I said, what kind of pistol? She says, uh, Beretta MP9. And I said, oh, okay. And I said, uh, what caliber is that? She goes, nine millimeter. I said, is it semi-automatic or automatic? She says, both. And I went, okay. And uh, how many rounds does it hold? 15. And so she knew her stuff. Anyways, long story short, I thought she was completely insane. Oh, the re- and, and the night where she was working as a hooker to k- kill one of the Johns, I said, what happened there? She said, it was so cold. There were no Johns looking for hookers that night. <laughs> so she Stood on the street for about an hour and a half, and then she said, "Fuck this shit." Anyway, so uh, well, <laughs> again, about three months later, big story breaks in in the newspaper: Russian mafia boss busted, and there we go. It was exactly the place she said he lived. It was in in a very rich Jewish neighborhood in Toronto, and uh, and he was busted, and they confiscated all these arms, including Beretta MP9s, and. It was all true. It was all oh, true. Wow. Yeah. And I thought she was crazy. So again, but so do I believe in conspiracies? Absolutely. Because I, I have just seen it over and over again. So anyways, when I say Israel was behind it, I mean the government of Israel. Right. Yeah. And we don't, I mean, as far as what that means, I'm not very clear about it, but I would imagine that the Frankists kind of have that influence on there because all the elites like if you want to talk about what they say, like through whatever the the conspiracy theories are about the elites, right? They eat babies, adrenochrome, all that stuff. All that stuff is like line by line what the what the Sabbatean Frankists are all about. Yeah. yeah, and it's just really hard to not, you know, you 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 have to conflate the two because how else would you even logically look at it? I mean, and when Sabbatai Zevi moved to. Um, I think it was somewhere in Turkey or whatever, like the, the, Saudi, the Saudi royal family, those are all Frankists. Mm-hmm. So you have a really demonic, evil group of people in these very high places taking care of business. You know, it's kind of scary. For sure. <clears throat> I'm taking mad notes right. here. Can I interject on a few things? Yes, please. Yeah. yeah. And you're spot on. Um, 
We can even, I think the actual people who did the handiwork, you can reference the dancing Israelis. Mossad, certainly, if you want to pinpoint sure. an organization, had a huge uh, part of that. But uh, I think Saudi money, because anytime something like this happens, the first question you have to ask is, who does this benefit? Well, it certainly benefited Cheney because Halliburton was about to get paid. Um, it's going to protect Israel because we're putting boots on ground in the Middle East, and that's putting us closer. You know, we're right next to Iran, right? So Iran's going to be more hesitant to do anything to Israel. And then um, the Saudi money, we're friends with Saudi. We're very close with Saudi. Um, it helped tyranny USA, too, because we're that Patriot Act was on the books for like, what, 12 years before it finally got pushed through? Yeah, anybody yeah. who thinks— um, that the 10,000-page document was written in 11 pages, or uh, excuse me, 11 <laughs> days. Um, you've got some really good cocaine, and you need to share it, that that document was written. <clears throat> and you can actually yeah. pinpoint uh, the Bush administration. It was the authors of the PNAC document. Um, you look at Rumsfeld. Sure. Um, you look at September 10th, 2001, when Rumsfeld comes out and says, uh, by the way, we're missing $2.3 trillion, and 12 hours later, nobody remembers it because the greatest terrorist attack since Pearl Harbor has happened. Right. Yeah. And, Oopsie. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody completely forgot about that. By the way, talking about numbers, um, if, if you were to stand in front of a Walmart and ask the average Joe on the street how many buildings fell on 9-11, they're going to say two when it was actually right. three. Uh, two planes yeah. took down three buildings. I don't think so. And it's very funny in that Pinoch document. Uh, it says it would oh, you take. Forget, you don't forget about the uh, the the wastebasket fire in uh, Building Seven took the whole building down. Oh yeah, that was <laughs> those Marlboros burn like hell though. You got to be careful with those Marlboros. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Building One, Two, and Seven are the three buildings who, that fell. And in that Pinoc document, it said it would take a new Pearl Harbor event. Uh, in order for this new world order to take place. And if you look at 127 as a date, that's December 7th, Pearl Harbor. So, you know, Manly P. Hall says when the numbers and symbols, you know, are finally uh, recognized, a, a veil will fall upon man. And those, uh, they're big on their numbers and symbols. Yeah. And it's it's uh, good to mention that he was made an honorary 33rd degree Freemason because they wanted to have him they kind of wanted to absorb him into the group because he was a brilliant man and obviously a little bit more of a noble character, I would say. So Agreed. it kind of gave them a nice, nice little, you know, thin veneer of legitimacy. Because as a Freemason, how do you reconcile people like Albert Pike and Aleister Crowley being heralded on such a high, if you, and still think that there's something moral and just and integral about that organization? You know, I mean, even the UT campus, they have all the handwritten works of Al Crowley. You know, I don't know. It's just uh, the Hebrew that he stole from, like the, the Hebrew translations that he stole from the guy who created the uh, the Golden Dawn, which uh -huh. is going to, names are going to escape me right now. But uh, yeah, that guy never intended to publish the works. So the very first book that made Alistair Crowley so brilliant was basically a robbery because he was, he was part of the golden dawn was trusted enough to be shown these things. And then went ahead and published a book showing all this, you know, this sorcerer's language basically, which is Hebrew in, uh, in all of these old grimoires that were already translated for him. Yeah. So. And the average Joe on the street doesn't even realize that uh, where Albert Pike is buried down there, they have a huge, uh, it's a big deal down there in DC. That's why you remember Trump last year. You better not touch that Albert Pike. They, that was the first thing they yeah. built back up when it got taken down. 
That's their hero. Yeah, I'd like to see them have the same amount of uh, respect for like Andrew Jackson, who actually fought the Rothschilds or something like that. You know. Yeah, and it's funny yeah, how they- I like that. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, sorry, go. I liked Andrew Jackson. Yeah, one of my yeah. favorites. Yeah, I heard you mention him, and uh, I think it was. Uh, Liberty Radio. I it was four years ago or so. I was listening to it on the on the ride home the other day. Um, is is Joe Cristiano still kicking around, or is he has he passed on? He's he was seventy something at the time that you guys were. Oh yeah, Joe Cristiano. No, I haven't heard from him in quite some while, so I, I don't know what happened to him. Yeah, I, I noticed that he had his radio broadcast. There was no like farewell speech or anything. And two thousand nineteen, he stopped. It was just over. Like there was nothing else after that. So huh. it just it was just a curiosity because I had just li- heard him and he was talking to you about nine eleven and how he used to like do like um, traffic control or whatever back then and he was discussing it with you and then he, I could tell he's a New Yorker and it just made me feel good to hear him because I love that I love that voice I love that New Yorker mentality <laughs> and yeah. uh, so I got really interested in it and then I started looking around and I'm like he hasn't posted in a year oh man he was kind of advanced in age I hope everything's okay you know that was. My Mr. Empathy over here, starting to feel bad about the guy. You know, I don't even know if he's all right or not. <clears throat> I know. I'll be honest with you. I don't know. I haven't heard from him. Um, I'd send out another, like, uh, I send out occasionally um, guest expert query letters, you know, to uh, the shows that I've already done. You know, have me back on. I'll go and talk about this this time. And I know I sent out a, one of those about a year and a half ago. And I'm, he's on my list, so I would have sent it to him, but I never heard back from him. So that would have been a year and a half ago, at least. Hey, Stefan, I I know I think I think I'm starting to learn this as I go. That you know, notes are great and they're fine if we get caught in a jam where you, we don't really know what to talk about. You can just step down the list and see the next bullet point. But the one thing I didn't ask you is: is there something specific that you want to discuss? I mean, on on my mind right now is survival tactics, things that you can practically use. Um, Maybe people who don't understand, who've never been out in the woods, who don't know how to build a fire in the damp weather, you know, things like that are just things that would be practical use. The importance of a ham radio. Do you need a generator? Obviously, probably yes. If you have batteries to charge, things like that. Should solar be an option if you live in the desert? I mean, it just all these little things that when you're in the situation, you get thrown in it. So let's say somebody just hit a power line and you're down with power, but you don't know why. What goes through your head? Do you put your revolver in your pocket and walk down the street to see what's going on? I mean, like just to, to make sure everything's safe. Or what, what would what would be the things that you would do in a time of crisis? What types of uh, things would you say are completely one hundred percent essential? Like you want to have this stuff. You want to have this stuff. You know, the crank radio. I've I've heard you talk about. You don't get crap on AM and FM, so it's nice to have, but it's not going to save your life. A ham radio, you're going to get more information. You know, so. I don't know if you want to take it from there. I mean, and I did read all of the master's guide to the way of the warrior. It's an amazing book. Oh, and man. I'm on my way through the urban, uh, the art of urban survival at the moment. Oh, wow. Thank you. Thank you, yeah. Daniel. Well, the first thing I would do, you know, if the power goes out is uh, get my revolver and shoot all the neighbors just to be safe. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Uh, well, listen, that's a, that's a big subject to unpack. Uh, and I talk about it all the time. Today, I just had two consultations, two hours each, uh, with uh, a group of women in Switzerland uh, that wanted to learn, you know, uh, preparedness and survival tactics. They I think they shouldn't lot- worry too much. That's where the Rothschilds live. They're not going to poop in their own uh, in their own uh, neighborhood. Well, but they, <laughs> they might round up a few of the locals just for fun, you know. Yeah, and, um, yeah, in, in Switzerland and Italy and um, 
the other person is, and uh, where was he? And then, um, oh, uh, I forget. But anyways, yeah, it, there's a lot to unpack. Okay, so it, essentials, like a lot of this stuff, especially like for wilderness survival, I don't even want to touch on that because it's like such a huge subject. Yeah. You know, we can spend an hour just talking about how to build a campfire, you know. And there's a sense and a feeling to things. Like you kind of it's like a synchronicity when you are open to nature, like you kind of just start to get it. It starts to click with you. Like it, maybe it doesn't for everybody, but I think you'd have to live a pretty artificial existence for you not to just kind of get things as you're out there. Cause that's where you're supposed to be. You know, if you're a naturally living uh, creature, you're supposed to be out there. You're supposed to know how to do stuff. You're supposed to have that kind of innate or in, um, you call it instinct to, to kind of figure stuff out. You know, if you yeah. have to take too long to figure that out, there might be something wrong. Well, I, I guarantee you 90% don't have any kind of instinct when it comes to going out in the woods. They just don't have a clue. You know, I had uh, I was teaching a, a kung fu class in the park here, and um, my students ranged in age from 35 to 43. And I always do extracurricular activities with my students. Like I'll take them out. Uh, we'll go talk philosophy on, on the by the lake, or we'll go in the canoe for a trip, and I'll teach them how to paddle. And anyways... I said, let's go, uh, you know, after class next Saturday, we'll go down to the beach by the lake and uh, we'll build a bonfire and we'll have a potluck dinner. I'll bring my pasta salad and some hot dogs and buns and uh, we'll do that. So we get down there and I said uh, to one of the guys, I said, okay, can you build a fire then? Well, I don't know how to build a fire. I need lots of newspaper, don't I? And I said, no, you don't need newspaper to build a fire. He says, well, how do you build a fire then? Now, I'm talking about a guy that's 43 years old, doesn't know how to light a fire. Wow. So, you know, I showed him, you know, there's so many ways you can build a fire. My favorite is the old Boy Scout teepee. <laughs> you know, build yeah, the teepee, right? right? Mm-hmm. We used to call it the one-match fire. You're only given one match, and if you couldn't get a fire started, you failed. So you start off with the kindling, and then you build a little tiny teepee over that, and another big teepee over that. So by the time you stick the match in there, three minutes later, foof, you've got a big flame. So I taught him how to do that. Okay, great. None of the other guys knew either, right? We're talking grown men, 35 to 43, 35, 38, 43. I mean, they're grown men, right? They're adults by that time, right? Couldn't build a fire. So then I said, okay, well, let's eat then, guys. And I, I handed out the, the paper plates and my pasta salad, and I handed everybody a hot dog, and they looked at the hot dog and go, how are we going to cook this? <laughs> <laughs> so I gave him my knife, and I said, you see that tree over there? He goes, yeah. I said, well, go cut yourself a green branch about the size of your pinky and uh, you know, sharpen the edge into a point, and then you stick the hot dog on the point, and you hold it over the fire. <laughs> this was all news to them, okay? This was something that was like, blew their mind, guys. So when you mm-hmm. say, Daniel, that, oh, they're going to, uh, people should have an instinct, they should be able to connect with their, with their instinctive heritage of being, you know, a man of nature. No, I found that not to be true <laughs> at all. Not at all. And I can tell you another dozen stories exactly the same sort of thing where i'm talking about grown men and they couldn't do anything nothing so yeah but i don't want to get into the wilderness survival stuff because it's sort of uh i take for granted too because when people think and hear new york they they only have their perception of like tall buildings in a city 
I grew up in upstate New York. There's more cows than people. If they ever yeah. got organized, we'd be in trouble. You know, they'd take over. But it's basically like Vermont, just with a different name. And yeah. you take for granted because you assume when you grow up that everything is everybody has the same experiences that you do. You always assume that everybody knows the same stuff that you do. And you find out over over time that that's not at all the case. Like we went camping. I used to learn how to do boating stuff, tying to tying to docks, jumping out, grabbing the rope, all that stuff that some people can't do. I, I got taught how to swim better from a guy who my, uh, my stepfather's uncle, who was in the Navy at the time. He taught me how to swim more strongly and how to swim against currents and stuff like that. And how to, how to, you know, work your way around when you're being pulled back. It was, it was all stuff that I just picked up, you know, and then, always being in camping situations you, you just learn oh and you learn not to put your food out because the raccoons get you the one night then you don't have anything <laughs> <laughs> they drag yeah. your food out into the woods and you're yeah. just thankful that it wasn't a bear <laughs> yeah well I, I had that with a bear in california up in yosemite i was we hiked up a uh, little dome you know the big waterfall there in yosemite national park uh, <clears throat> and there's a there's a you know, that kind of zigzags up and down the side of that waterfall, and then you get to the top, and it's a plateau. Well, for some reason, I thought there were no bears in California. I don't know why. <laughs> we just, you know, we, we were used to them here in Canada. Well, of course, there's bears in Canada, but now we're in California. Uh, there's no bears. So we slept out in the open under the stars, just in our sleeping bags. We didn't set up a tent or anything like that, and had backpacks for pillows. In the backpacks was our food. Mm-hmm. So at three o'clock in the morning, suddenly my thump, <laughs> my head hits the ground. I reach back. Where the hell's my backpack? I, I look over. Something over there. I turn on the flashlight. A mother bear and three cubs, wow. <laughs> about about five feet away from me. So I woke up my buddy. I said, "Okay, we're going to have to sleep somewhere else because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the bears got our food." Anyways. Yeah, you don't want to mess with mama bear. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, and it was a California brown bear. It wasn't that big, you know, but still, like, you, you don't tangle with any kind of a bear. It wasn't, like, as big as a black bear or something like that, but um, or let alone a, a Kodiak or a grizzly. But still, you know, it's a bear. It'll it'll hurt you if, it's, if it wants to. Anyways, but I don't want to get into the – and the reason why people talk about survivalism and surviving the collapse is a lot of people think they're going to run into the forest and hide. Yeah. And I think this is a deadly mistake. Yes. Now, I love being out in the outdoors, and uh, I've done a lot of camping and hiking and things like that. And uh, I got a buddy who's a real mountain man. You know, he he uh, hunts and traps and uh, goes up into the mountains. He's up in the mountains somewhere now. That was my kung fu brother. Haven't heard from him in years. But um, even with all my experience... I'm not going to last too long living in the forest. I'm just not. You know, it's one thing to go camping and hiking because you get all your food with you and you got your, you know, and uh, so you get in the canoe and you go and you have a really good time. You're in there a couple of weeks, fine. But if you didn't now to survive on hunting and fishing and scrounging and to deal with life in the forest, you know, with all the bugs and the swamps and the and the snakes and the bears and the raccoons, uh, you know, come on. It's, I would last probably a couple of months, which would be a couple of months longer than 98% of everybody else. So a lot of people think, you know, and especially this, this myth is perpetrated by all these prepper websites and stuff like that. Of course. Where, 
you know, all the preppers are going. And, and I, and to be honest with you, I don't really like preppers. I find them a little bit obnoxious. It's, it's too much of this. Well, if you don't know how to skin and, a deer with the thumbnail then you're just gonna die out there MacGyver's. yeah they're all you know how how to make a flint knife come on flint knife jesus christ you don't think there's gonna be a lot of knives around even if this shit hits the fan you can't find a knife somewhere you're gonna have to make one out of flint um so you know I've, i find that just a little bit ridiculous um and especially because for the vast majority of people it's just gonna be way impractical so that's why I kind of wrote the book, The Art of Urban Sir. Bless you. Bless you, sir. Bless you. Excuse me. Um, because I, I'm, I'm thinking you have a better chance of surviving in an urban or suburban environment than you are going to be out in the, in the forest, out in the mountains. So I really think you have a better chance uh, simply because most people just don't have the skills to Bless you, sir. Bless Always you. comes in twos. <laughs> yeah. Hold on, let me just get a drink. Yes, sir. You talk. Yeah, and yeah, okay. to be honest with you, I think we're at the the point. This is a global event. There's this is not the time to run. This is the time to dig your heels in and fight. Um, yeah, in my and opinion. I agree with you there. My my concern is let's let's look at the uh, the scenario of they're coming door to door. That's the day you don't want to be home. And I exactly. think Bill Cooper meant, meant, made a mention of that too. He's like, Indeed. "Don't be home on holidays and things like that." And I, that stuck in my head from reading, you know, "Behold a Pale Horse" and all the other documents that he added to that book to make it what it was. It, it's, it made sense. It made sense to me. Like they know your IP address, even like if they wanted to target you. If let's say it's a five G thing, they could target you house by house if they have directed energy, right? I mean, just all these little things. Like why? Why would you want to be where they know you are? But also, like with me, I'm in the Yuma, you know, I can drive and drive and drive and drive three hours and I'm still in the middle of a desert with absolutely nothing to eat, no vegetation, rocks that look like they're lava because they're so hot out there. You know, it's just, it's desolation. And the funny part about that all is even in the most desolate spot on I-8 going towards Phoenix, I have all bars I have a full, perfect Wi-Fi reception. So what that tells me is that it doesn't matter where I am. They know where I'm at anyway. Because if I have my phone on me and I'm a dummy enough to carry it with me, then I have my tracking device already glued to my hand. And then if I have credit cards with the chip in them, the GPS chip, then I'm an idiot. You know, then I don't think a lot of people even mention that or notice that. Like they'll go out in in places and think that they're being all sneaky and and people are laughing. In yeah. the NSA building, you know what I mean? They're, 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 they're chuckling at you because you brought your phone. <laughs> Shout out to the NSA. I'm sure they're watching this tonight. How y'all doing? Yeah, yeah. Hi, guys. Yeah. We're talking with you, not at you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's true. And um, somebody was asking me about that the other day, too. I said, they asked me, do you think there's chips in the, in the credit cards? I said, absolutely. It's, there are RFID chips. Now, they don't transmit what they do is ping back from another transmitter. Right. Okay, so, uh, so they don't require a battery or anything like that. It's just that uh, that's why, you know, like with shoplifting uh, uh, tags, uh, they will ding when you go through the front doors because the front doors have the transmitters that will beam the radio frequency. And then if it's reflected by an RFID chip, that's when the alarm goes off. So 
um, yeah, I, I told him, wrap him up in aluminum foil, then put him in a, a an Altoids tin container lined with cardboard, and then you've got, you know, two layers of metal, almost like a capacitor, so they shouldn't be dinging back. Um, that's one way of covering your, your, your credit cards from squealing on you. And then in your cell phone, the same thing. But if you're going to go hiding, don't take the cell phone. Right. right. And the thing that stuck in my head was hearing about um, Obama when he was on his drone strike raid, his tirade. Uh, there was a guy that they were looking for. I think it might have been in the Middle East. He was at a wedding at the time, and they blew up the entire wedding party, killed, yeah. killed everybody, all the kids, everybody. The moment he yeah. turned on his phone, they, they had him. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, yeah. So anyways, what you said earlier, yeah, I gave that advice to a couple of people the other day because they were saying, well, you know, um, they called me and uh, they wanted to talk to me and they said, well, I'm really worried about, you know, if they're coming door to door and uh, asking for your vaccine passport. And I said, "Okay, now in that situation, yes, bug out, because I'm not a big fan of bugging out. I prefer to shelter in place. And uh, and if you have to, then, you know, defend your 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 home. Um, but I, I bugging out is always dangerous because, as you know, in military strategy, an army on the move is always the most vulnerable. Yeah. Hello, Biden. Hello, Afghanistan. <laughs> you know, like if you're retreating and you don't leave behind a rear guard action. Yeah. The enemy is going to be up your ass and and uh and you're going to be taking casualties. What What don't they understand about this? You know, they're supposed to be generals. It's a strategy of defeat. It's it is a strategy intended. of defeat. Yeah. So I feel that's true, too, about bugging out. You're on the road now. You're vulnerable to all kinds of hazards of weather and bandits and spot checks and drone strikes. And, you know, God forbid you get a flat tire or you run out of gas or you run into a bad neighborhood. So um, I don't like bugging out. It's always as a last last resort. Bug out only if if staying where you are will guarantee your death. Yeah, bug out. So that's usually what I tell people. But now with this door-to-door, what I call the Biden door knockers, which is like a Stephen King novel, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) It's a horror story from Stephen King, the Biden door knockers. And uh, I said, well, yeah. Tommy knocker. (laughs) That was the book of his, Tommy knockers. Yeah, the Tommy knockers. (laughs) That was his book. And it was a scary book, too. I remember reading it. It was kind of creepy. Anyways, yeah, okay, so now, you know, the military is coming down the street, going door to door. You can see them hopefully a couple of blocks away, give you an advance notice. Now's a good time to bug out. Now's a good time not to be home. Now, whether you go, it would be, you know, ideal just to go and check into a local hotel somewhere, but you're going to have to present your ID. And if they knock on your door and you're not home, your name is going to go out, you know, APB. And uh, so the minute you anybody inputs your name into their hotel registry, it's going to uh, signal the, uh, uh, the police and military to yeah. come and get you. Um, going to a campground would be better. But again, it, you drive through the front gate and uh, there's going to be a license plate reader and uh, boom, there you go again. So if you're going to bug out to avoid being home when these guys are knocking on your door, um, now, you, yeah, you might be better off just to go into the forest somewhere, assuming there is some forest nearby, sure. and 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 drive, pull off the road. Um, 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Throw some branches or camouflage over your car. Try to hide it. Maybe take off the license plates. Take them with you. And then hike 10 miles in. And then wait there for a couple of weeks. Now, or a week. Now, my theory is that they'll knock on, because there's a lot of logistics behind this that I don't think the government can handle, despite all their technology. I mean, if they are actually going to send people physically door to door to check passports, How long is that going to take? You know, 320 million, 360 million. Um, that's going to be a lot of guys. And if you're not home the first time to knock on the door, okay, maybe they come back a second time. But are they going to have the time, manpower, and resources to come back to your door three, four, or five times in a row? I really doubt it. I really doubt it. I think the deciding factor in how they'll prioritize that thing is whether or not you have small children. I think they want them. I think that's their main, t- main uh, objective. Yeah. And if you have small children, they're going to come looking for you until they find you. And they're just, they're going to tear your family apart. Honestly think they're going to focus more. Uh, as you guys know, China is already practicing the social credit score. I firmly believe that this government already has social credit scores on Americans. And I think they're going to do it in order of people like you and I, they don't give a crap about the, the, you know, The liberal person who basically, if you go against the agenda, you're on the list. And I think that's how they're going to target it. That's just my opinion. Yeah, maybe. Um, I think, yeah, I think we might all be in the same category together as far as that, because I think Stefan's actually brought up in the past, like there's, there's no, there's no rewards for loyalty in this uh, type of situation. Like the Bolsheviks and things like that, they, they, they recycled their own on a frequent basis. Just, I mean, the same thing with Castro, you know, he, or your mini Castro up in, up in Canada, (laughs) (laughs) who who managed to turn Canada into China with, uh, by giving away all the resources and letting them continue to kill natives on their, uh, on their new land that they just acquired. But yeah, I mean, as far as uh, like, what do you guys think? hesitation i mean is that the biggest killer is assumption and presumption being what it is you assume that you can trust things you assume that this is that and that's where people's heads get all messed up and mine as well but hesitation i think not doing anything is the biggest killer yeah you can you know say complacency basically or or paralysis by analysis there's just too much for somebody to take in they don't know what to do and they're stuck there You know, I mean, it could be just as simple as that. This is where preparation comes in. And we don't like to use the word prepper because that's a different ballgame. But if you stay ready, you'll be ready. Um, 
For instance, it's one good thing to have a plan, but you have to practice the plan. In the military, what did we do? We trained. We rehearsed. So when it happened, yeah. it became second nature. You can sit here and plan. even. You don't even have to think about it. Yeah. Right. You can write stuff down. Okay, kids, we're going to do this and this. But when it hits the fan and you have not physically prepared, you're, you're lost. And you can start, and I'm going to promo this, um, for $50, you can go to chinastrategies.com. For $50, people will spend 50 bucks on a meal at Olive Garden, on a video game, on the next Call of Duty. Go to ChinaStrategies.com, and you can download the Ultimate Life Insurance Policy, almost 300 survival books. Don't wait. Every day that goes by and you're not on a ham radio practicing or learning how to build a fire, like Stefan said, that so many people don't know how to do, or learn how to use solar energy, um, uh, how to build a sun oven, how to fish how to hunt. This could save your life. Um, If you haven't noticed what's going on around you, we're getting closer to uh, an epic event that's going to change the course of history. And there's going to be two categories of people, just two. There's going to be people who survive and people who do not survive. And you can put yourself in the first category if you start preparing and listening to people who have trained in these type of things like Stefan has. So go to chinastrategies.com. Download the ultimate life insurance policy. Absolutely. I'm actually working my way through those right now. As I said, I've going, I'm starting off with his books, and then I'm going to work my way into, okay, what do I need to know at this moment? There's a book for that. There's a pamphlet for it. Yeah. It's all there, you know, so... I'm, I'm, I feel fortunate that I did grow up in a place where I, I did do a lot of camping and hiking, and uh, I did that 40-day survival hike where I basically walked the whole length of Florida and wrote a book, like a, like a road journal about it. Wow. So I, I know what it's like to not have a tent and have to figure it out every day for 40 days, you know? So yeah. that got me there. But that, again, that's if you're walking, that's if you're moving, that's not if you're staying in place. Yeah. So there's different strategies involved in that. And maybe I, I know I don't, I don't feel confident enough to say that I know I'm good. And that scares me because I have a daughter, you know, yeah. if it was just me and this, all this stuff was happening, I'd be like, I live a good life. I had fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Five, you know what I mean, and that that just tears me apart. Yeah, I'm in that same boat. Yeah, and, you and know, I, thing, I had, sorry, I, go ahead, Stefan. I'm go. Yeah, a lot of people tell me that too. They say, "Oh, if it gets that bad, I'd just rather die anyways because I don't want to live through it." Uh, <clears throat> but I always say, "You know, you pussy, look what happened during World War Three. My family, <laughs> no, pussy, <laughs> it starts off with pussy." Yeah, you know what, what happened in World War II? My family lived through it. They were in Holland. Europe was bombed to rubble. Just about every city in Germany and France, and they were bombed. There was no police. There was no hospitals. There was no electricity. There was no food chains. And what did people do? Did they all kill each other and eat each other? I mean, because you know our modern culture Only in the Ukraine, but that was kind of forced. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of forced, but. You know, <laughs> People think that, uh, you know, and, and I said, and then, you know, how hell- horrific that was. You know, my mother tells me the story that, you know, they could hear the tank coming down the street, this narrow alleyway, and all the windows broke just from the rattling uh, of the of the tank created, shook the buildings, the windows broke. And she said when it fired, every window for three blocks shattered instantly, you know. They lived through all that, and then, you know, five years later, 1945, everything's rebuilt. Everybody's driving their Mercedes on the Autobahn, having barbecues, and, and, you know, so that you want to kill yourself the minute things get a little bit hinky. I'm sorry. You're a pussy. 
you know, your grandparents lived through worse than that. Much worse. And so far, I haven't seen them bombing American cities yet. I haven't seen them, the tanks rolling down the street, opening fire on civilians yet. So wait until that happens before you start killing yourself. But this is, you know, how weakened live streaming has done. Hey, guys, let me just start it up again. I don't know why that did that, but we'll just start it up again. That's okay. I'm still recording on the audio side. All right, cool. But while I did that, people need to really go to your website. And uh, so much information. What is on. And we're back. All right. Yeah, sorry about that, guys. Thanks for that. Yeah, Stefan. And when I said I led a good life, I just meant that if the odds are too stacked against me, I know it's inevitable. I'm not going to be like peeing my pants and and acting like a a baby crying and begging for my life. I'm going to spit in their face as they're hurting me. You know, I'm going to I'm going to do whatever I can to to be defiant to the very end of it. Yeah. And I mean, it it took me a a lot of things that I was learning during the, the beginning of this whole COVID thing. I, I honestly, like eight months prior to that, I had started a channel called Ball Busters. And um, even before that, it was called um, something else. I don't even remember. But I was reading all these books and I was getting all this information about the Jesuits and all this other stuff about World War II. And I was really getting interested in, in history and, and seeing how much I didn't know about it. And uh, and before the COVID thing happened, or even whispers of it in, in China I said something. Something big is happening. Something big is coming our way, and we need to start, you know, thinking about this. And I started using the um, the Ebola virus uh, because I started realizing that, like, even with that, this is before their the scam of the the COVID, right? They were using formaldehyde in the wells, and the exact same symptoms that you get from Ebola is what you get from formaldehyde poisoning. Huh, All right. Yeah. OGX, which is, I guess, made by Johnson & Johnson, is a shampoo. They just, I guess, recalled it, or there's a clash action lawsuit. I was using it, too. When you mix it with water and you smish it around your hair, whatever the protein is in your hair, when that got bonded with it, it created formaldehyde, oh my and your God. hair would fall out. Huh. Was just another, a- another, 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 another notch on the belt for Johnson & Johnson products, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, they're great. Look, look at Chantix. I like I liked it when their baby powder turned out to contain asbestos. Yeah. Right. My wife and I made very sure that we were very careful with our, like we didn't use it very often. And when we did, we, you know I mean? Cause we didn't, we just didn't want the, 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 the particles of silica being in our mouth. We'd not let alone, you know, any, we didn't even think about asbestos cause there wasn't no talk about it five years ago. I don't think. No, there wasn't. No, no. So, and who would think that? I mean, that's not an accident. That's deliberate. That's like getting rid of waste product by adding it to things that you sell. The yeah. same thing that they do with fluoride, like Alcoa. That's when you, right. Yes. When you make aluminum, you you have a byproduct of sodium fluoride. Yes. And then they say, oh, well, that's good for your teeth. No, calcium fluoride might be, but it's because of the calcium, not because of the fluoride component. Right. So right. You're, you're, you're lying to people and you're, you're, you're bait and switching there. Enter Mr. And then, Bernays. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then, and then what else? Uh, phosphate uh, fertilizers decreate formaldehyde as a byproduct as well. Yeah. So... Huh. I just looked at a map that showed all of the places that Bill Gates like owns a ton of agriculture land. There's 27,000 acres right here in Arizona, which is a basically a desert. So most of it is, you know, it's all irrigated land and he owns all that to grow whatever. And they couple that with the thing saying that he's actually, obviously it's GMO food or it's like bug, you're going to have oh, bug yeah. burgers or whatever. But in addition to that, 
there's some way that they can modify stuff to where it's possibly going to give you what you are rejecting in the needle through your food. Yeah. You don't want it in the needle. Okay, here, have a sandwich. You know, it's like, yeah, that's kind of crazy. And my wife and I made the, the choice uh, a couple months ago. We, we moved out to the country. Um, we got chickens. We're, the goats we were supposed to get yesterday, but we had the uh, hurricane come through, so we're not picking them up until later in the week. Um, we go to all our meat comes from the butcher here out in the country. You can see where the cows are. They come in, they process them, and they and there's no frozen. Yeah, people have to be really cognitive. And you made a great point right there. Just because you're not getting it in the form of a jab, trust me. If you're going to McDonald's. You're, you're getting the poison. If you're getting uh, DiGiorno pizzas, and I shouldn't say per se, but you've got to be real careful. Just because something says organic, if you're getting it from your chain store, it's probably not organic. If you look uh, in the news, they changed the regulations for what it means to call something organic. Um, and another Can great I just point without. Interject real quick, too. Yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but. When Fukushima occurred and everybody just started to forget about it, you know what California did? They upped the the limit of what they consider to be dangerous uh, radio- radiation levels in food. And then they just blanket told everybody that they're radiating your food to get rid of parasites. So yeah. now, now, now if you go to the, to the grocery store and you use your little meter and you, you start dinging, oh, well, that's to be expected because they irradiate it. Oh, that yeah. gets, I guess that's healthy now. And not to mention yeah. most of the chickens in this country that you get from the big stores, whether it's Pathmark or IGA or whatever your big grocery store is, King Soups, they take the chickens, they ship them to China to be processed, and then ship them back just to save a quarter on every chicken. So that chicken you're eating has gone to another country, and Lord knows what they're doing with the chickens over there. Good God. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm quite shocked, to be honest with you, that uh, George is married <laughs> How's that? <laughs> he's just too smart, I think, is what he's trying to say. Oh, oh. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm just teaching. I'm ribbing you. You know, it's like the old old army buddies, right? We always uh, would always tease each other mercilessly. Yeah. I, uh, well, this I'd like to go back to what you were talking about with the rehearsal. I think this is key. I had a guy call me from Germany. Very nice guy. He's worried about, you know, again, people walking door to door asking for their passport vaccine or the vaccine passport. He wants to bug out. So uh, he's in uh, Munster and Munster. Well, it's not a great place. It's it's a nice city or whatever, but uh, not too many places to bug out. So we went on the on the map and um, and he doesn't have a car. And uh, so I, I tuned him into my idea with a. Uh, going by bicycle, pulling a trailer. I, I have a small trailer. I can carry, you know, like three backpacks in that trailer and, and then stuff. And uh, plus I can carry my canoe. So I have an amphibious bug out vehicle, completely silent. I don't need to refill it or recharge it. And um, I, by taking bicycle trails, I'm under the radar. And what I can do is if, when I get to a river or a lake or something like that, everything can fit in the canoe, and now I can paddle. So the bike goes in the canoe, the trailer goes in the canoe, the three backpacks, everything. You know, this is the way, because a lot of times people say, you know, when, when the shit hits the fan, we're going to be living in the 1880s again. Well, how did they get around in the 1880s? You know, those pioneers that went on the Oregon train, 
trail out west. In the movies, you see them; they're all nice and comfy in their their wagons, right? In the wagon trains, which would be the RVs of our day, right? But the truth of the matter is, the vast majority of them walked, pulling or pushing carts. And how did they get across the country here in Canada, especially? Um, the, what we, they were called the voyeurs, uh, the voyageurs, they traveled from coast to coast by canoe. And uh, where when the water ran out, they picked up the canoe and all their gear and they carried it on their shoulders until they came to the next lake. So I have the same system. And I know it sounds really extreme, but, um, you know, what are the chances of you escaping in a car that you're not going to get, you know, if it's an evacuation situation or shit hits the fan. So you're in your car with all your gear, with all your food and everything like that. Everything's packed up in the car. You're going down the road. And is there going to be gridlock? Of course there is. Uh, you know, like the one little accident on any of the highways and the whole city shut down anyways, let alone, uh, you know, 10,000, 100,000 people fleeing for their lives and their vehicles. Okay, so let's say there is an orderly evacuation. You manage to get out of the city with that. Now go to the next gas station to fill up. Uh, you know, you're going to be in a lineup for four weeks. And uh, by the time you get to the pump, they'll be out because where's the where's the refill coming from? So the local gas stations will be out of gas in a couple of hours. And now where are you? Now you're on the side of the goddamn interstate highway with all your crap. And guess what? You're a sitting target for anybody who wants to take your stuff because where are you going? Nowhere, right? right? So you're out in the open. You got all your food and everything like that. And uh, some guys that... Uh, uh, were smart enough to put, you know, a, a few uh, jerry cans of gas in the back of their pickup truck and uh, dr- driving up and down the ditch and uh, robbing and raping whoever they want. Don't think that won't happen. It will. So what is the alternative to that? Now, I, I studied, you know, uh, uh, World War One and World War Two and hot and, and uh, um, um, you know, uh, Croatia. Where was it? Uh, um, Herzegovina, Bosnia, you know, Sarajevo. Bosnia. Yeah. yeah, Bosnia, Sarajevo. Now, you look at the photos taken of the people when they're evacuating the city. They're all on foot. Yes. They're all on foot. They've got, you know, a few belongings wrapped in a blanket on a pole over their shoulder. Uh, during World War One, they were a little bit more sophisticated. I, I saw pictures of the Belgians evacuating, and they had dog-drawn carts. They had these really beautiful carts. I wish I had one, you know, like a mini mini uh, chariot, not chariot, uh, carriage. And they were drawn by, you know, a couple of uh, uh, bull mastiffs. You know, that was their horsepower. And they had grandma on there, and they had all their equipment, and the kids were on there. And they piled everything on top of this cart, and it was the dogs that were pulling it. A better idea, yeah, better than carrying it. And some were even, you know, pushing wheelbarrows with food and, and, and supplies on there. So that is typically how people evacuate. They don't get in the car and have a nice orderly drive, turn up the stereo and, and <laughs> sit back and get out of town. That doesn't happen. It's not going to happen that way unless you have advanced warning and you get out a day before it happens. Now, we'll talk about that in a minute. But advanced warning is really key to to surviving what's coming. So if you know that tomorrow they're going to shut it all down, you get out tonight. You get in the car, and then you've got the highway all to yourself. So what is the other alternative? Walking it tends to be what everybody did. 
walking and pushing a cart means that you can carry more stuff with you. But I'm going one further. I'm going to bicycle, so now I can go a lot faster. I'm pulling one of those kids' trailers, and it's really not that hard. Like when you go uphill, yeah, then you feel the weight. You know, you have to put extra effort to get up the hill because of the weight in the back of the cart. But if you're on the flats, it doesn't matter. Uh, once you build up speed, you know, the inertia carries you along, and it's really not any more difficult to paddle. So now I can carry two months' supply of, of food and uh, my radio kit, my first aid kits, and uh, – uh, a tent and sleeping bag. I wouldn't put a tent in my backpack. I can't. I can't afford the weight of one of those things, you know. Yeah. Um, and walk around, you know. I, yeah, I can. I can probably carry forty pounds for a while, but uh, you know, I'm not going to be doing that day after day, uh, three or four days to get out of the city. No, no way. So, but I can put that on the cart, and now I can bicycle. And this way, I can take the bicycle trails one of the things i found out in every city i have ever lived in is that every city has bicycle trails and you know because they're promoting it right through the city usually following next to a riverway or 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 or, or a creek so every city has a river through it just about every city has it. maybe not there in in, uh, in yuma but just about everywhere every city has a river running through it that's why the cities are there because the rivers were at one time uh, a ways of transportation and, sure. and ports and in the earliest days it was where the canoe guys stopped and made camp because uh, it was a, lo- a good location, and that's where the cities grew up. So they will all have a bicycle trail or a walking trail right next to it. Now, when shit hits the fan, I can see them, you know, monitoring the major highways and the byways and the side roads and the subways and all that. I really don't think that we're going to see police roadblocks on the bicycle trail. Maybe I'm wrong. At least not first, right? At least not. They're going to be taking care of the the heavy congestion first. They're going to be taking care of the people fleeing that don't know what to do in a time of crisis. They're going to get rid of the sitting ducks first. Exactly. Exactly. And again, it's a matter of logistics. Uh, You know, like, are you going to, you know, in in nature and in the military, a predator will pursue a prey only as for so long as that prey can replenish the calories expended by the predator. In other words, a cheetah will chase a, a, a Steinbock a lot longer than it will chase a rabbit. Because if it has to chase a rabbit for too long, that means he's already burned up more energy than eating the rabbit would replenish. So what typically happens is the cheetah will break off the pursuit if the rabbit manages to elude it. However, Steinbock's a lot of meat there, a lot of protein. The cheetah will pursue the Steinbock for a lot longer than it would for a rabbit. Same is true for police forces. And this is, you know, this is instinctive. You know, if you're a serial killer or a mass murderer or a famous bank robber, yeah, you got the FBI, the sheriffs, and, and all the cops. They're, you know, they're hunting you down. You know, they're checking this. They're doing street patrols and APBs and bolos, and they're hunting you down. But if you're, you know, uh, you shoplift something from this store, there's not going to be FBI and bolo and all that coming after you because you are not significant enough as prey for the predator to expend that energy on. So what happens in nature is true for society. They'll come after the big guys, and that's why three of us were on the top of the list right yeah. so they they will come after us first because 
you know, we're good prey. We're worthwhile taking down. Uh, yeah, they'll, yeah, they'll they'll get around to uh, killing all the BLMs and the SJWs. They'll get around to that, but they're not in a hurry because they're no threats, and they and they're they not going anywhere either because they think that they're, they're protected. They're not going to cause any trouble. Us yeah. three will cause a lot of trouble. They want to get us first. So that scenario and what that you know what you said leading up to that sounds like it's very practical to do if you're one person it sounds like it's nearly impossible if you have a wife who has maybe a couple different opinions than you or (laughs) a child or both you know what i mean so it's that's where it's like you almost seem like you may find yourself forced in a situation where you know it's not the smartest way to do it but it's the only way to do it that you can think of because no one tells you how to take a family with you they always it's more of like the individualist survival type type of tactic because really in a situation like that, it really is about protecting your ass. Not everybody else has to figure out their own stuff. But when you have a family, you can't go off of that because you have to bring everyone with you and you have to be the protector, which means you have to expose yourself a whole lot more to these dangers in order to do that effectively. You know, yeah. and that that's where the mind the mind you know defeat happens before it even starts. Is you already feel like you're destroyed. Like I, I can't think my way out of this paper bag. You know, I don't know what to do next. Yeah. I have her to take care of. I got. Heard who doesn't agree with the way I want to do it, you know that that hesitation. That's the hesitation there. It's like yeah, slowing, yeah. slowing me down because if I just thought like this and did, then that's a whole lot better than thinking five more seconds for a better, even if it's a better idea, but sitting there thinking about it for that period of time. You just lost all that time. Your yeah. element of surprise is gone. All that stuff, and then going back to the ham radio, like that that forewarning, like that's when you have ham radios with ex-military or active duty people who say, hey, buddy, this and this is happening. You might you want to take your family and go somewhere. You know, that's that's you're not going to get that from anywhere else unless you have like a ham radio connection and a community, friends, people you can. You well, can, that's what I've been telling yeah. people too with uh, and what I've been trying to do with building the community. So anyways, let me address your situation. I know exactly what you're talking about because you're automatically hamstrung. OK, you're already uh, handicapped before you even do anything because you got the wife and you got the kid. Now, you have to get the wife on board with this. You can't be fighting with her. And uh, I don't know how you're going to do that. I, you know, I'm, I'm, my wife left me, but the mistake I made with my wife is I never said, shut the fuck up and do what I tell you. I never said that. I should have. I really should have. I kept going, oh, yeah, okay, honey, yeah, well, that's, I'm not sure it's a great idea, but, you know, if that's really what you want to do, and, you know, I kept being complacent. I knew decisions she was making were disastrous, and they were disastrous, destroyed our marriage, destroyed our lives, and and they were all her decisions, and I'm stupid enough because, well, I don't want to be a toxic male, and because, you know, she'd come from an abused background, and so she's very sensitive, she doesn't want men telling her what to do, and I should have I should have said shut the fuck up and do what I tell you because what you are planning and what you're thinking about is disastrous and it was disastrous and now here we go. I don't know what to say. You know, we've been so browbeaten men these days, you know, with the feminism and the you know, especially white straight men. We are the number one criminal, one public enemy number one is straight white men. Mm-hmm. And so we are we have really been uh you know, neutered and uh, we're afraid to speak out, but sometimes it's a matter of life and death. Now, listen to me. 
and shut the hell up and do what I say. Now, I'm not saying that's what you should tell your wife. <laughs> no, and let me just say something, too. You and I have a very similar background as far as the um, the the abuse component in her past. And what I end up getting a lot of is yeah, – she's not here right now, so I can talk about it. Um, <laughs> Make the, sure people, the people she should have had all of her rage and anger for aren't here right now, and she missed the opportunity to yell at them. So I get all this shit. Yeah. Even though I'm the one that's trying to help her, I'm the one that's always been. The, I'm the demon because that's who she needs. I'm I'm the the person in her life to focal all the good and the bad, you yep. know. And it's it's tough. It's really tough. But here's the funny thing: is she's really on board with a lot of stuff. So like she's the one who got us thinking and looking into vaccines when our daughter was about to be born, and we had a whole birth plan so that nothing happened to her, and she was didn't have that stuff rubbed in her eyes. No hepatitis B shot. None of that. No no uh, vitamin K. Nothing. Everything was as natural as it could be, but she, you know, and maybe she's right. Maybe the whole sit in place thing is a good idea, but I'm trying to get her mind on the, on the thinking like, okay, well the town's, the town's on fire. There's nobody here to help us. Everybody else is either too stupid to want to come together or they're dead or, you know, they're being robbed by, cause we're right next to a border, you know? And I think that that might be the first the first wave of assault is because they're already weakening the borders. They just let the other people do it for them before yeah. they have to place their name on it. Before the military even comes in and does door knocking, they might have you know towns be raided, and that might be the reason for their presence is to stop the border. You know uh, the border crisis. So they'll they'll come in like nice you know, and dumb people will think, oh wow, goodness, military, let's run to FEMA, let's run to the camps mm-hmm. or whatever the hell it might be. You know, let's run to the even if uh, if it's like a UN troops by that point, who knows? But I don't. The thing is about spycraft; it kind of comes into play there too, because you kind of have to know when to roll with them and kind of sleep with the dogs, and uh, when it's okay to, to 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 just use that as your stopping point and to move on to the next thing. Because you don't always want to look like you're in opposition to what they're doing. You don't always want to feel like. I mean, I'm not saying turn in your neighbors. I'm not saying that. I'm saying just know when to blend. Like I've listened to enough of your stuff to understand that you, this, I'm kind of talking to you directly. when I say that, but it's like, she has that magic that, uh, what do you call it? The magical fantasy type of thing too, where it's like, you know, the, the belief that her mantra of connected and protected is all she needs when she can't figure out how to, how to fix something, you know, it's well, we're connected and protected. Okay. Okay, great. Okay, great. Well, make sure you tell everybody who b- busted our windows that you're connected and protected to. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like. Yeah, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And that's, again, another one of the situations I describe to people what, why, when you should bug out. And that is, yeah, if there's, you know, 50, a convoy of 50 cars filled with, um, you know, uh, um, diversity hires going up and down the street and they're all heavily armed and they're stopping in front of every house and looting and raping and robbing every house that they come across. Yeah. That might be a good time to bug out uh, because, you know, unless you've got all your neighbors on board to form a defense. That's the only way. Right. Exactly. Otherwise you don't, what are you defending? Yeah. Half the people are too dumb to even raise their hands to these people, you know? Yeah. Yeah, they're too afraid to do anything like that. And if you've got, uh, you know, the cartel members coming up from the south, you know, with, uh, you know, and 30 uh, uh, Nissan pickup trucks all armed with AKs. Yeah, you got to get out of there. And one and thing let- about those guys is they practice with their rifles. They've, they've practiced with their guns. They know what they, that, that, that prepping stuff, they, they, they know what they're doing with those with those weapons. So 
don't 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 just because they're like don't wear a uniform think that they're not trained. They know right. exactly what they're doing with those things, and they're probably much better at tactical fight fighting than you do. I are as a Joe Blow citizen, you know, or whatever. Yeah, well, that's like James F. Dunnigan wrote in his book on war that the most effective fighting forces are the ones that look like bandits. Yeah. You know, it's not the guys in the nice uniforms. They're all matching uh, camos, you know. Um, but the ones that, you know, look like a ragtag bunch, but they tend to be the most effective fighters. Anyway, so they're coming up there. Now you got to go unless you're able to form a, a militia in your community to offer up defense. That's not happening these days. Nobody's going to join a militia anymore. Um, yeah, I tried that on the next door app. Nobody wanted to join. <laughs> well that the government's guaranteed to infiltrate it you just look like uh, if you look what happened in michigan yeah. they took yeah. one or well, two patsies and they look what they did up there. sure you're talking about gretchen whitmer the, yes that thing yeah. yeah 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 well you know people because i'm working on the this book on communities and they asked me well what would we do if you uh um want to form a militia. I said, well, the first thing you do is you call it at May's knitting society. <laughs> right. You don't make it sound like it's a, exactly right. Larry's take down the government's militia. <laughs> right. Yeah, that, well, that, that's the whole spycraft thing. You don't, you yeah. don't want to be like, Hey, sore thumb. Hi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's just paint a target on our back. And, you know, I've been contacted by people from, uh, the, uh, freedom cells network. <laughs> yeah. Well, what do you think of our network? I said, first of all, change the goddamn name, Freedom okay. Cells. You you just triggered every algorithm and every NASA computer <laughs> or NSA computer and every FBI listening post is already triggered to your Freedom Cells. You know, that's anyways. So you got to get out there. You got to get away, Daniel. So here's the thing that I would do. I'm going to offer you a, a possible strategy to solve your problem. You can get two bicycles and two carts. Your wife can bicycle one and carry the daughter in the back. You bicycle the other, and you got and you got your food supplies. There you go. Now yeah. to to corner into it, you don't tell her these are our bug out bicycles. And by the way, just between you and me, I would put like a shotgun scabbard on the front forks of my bicycle, right? So you can reach down and pull out your your your, your twelve gauge. Anyways. I wouldn't tell the wife that I'm buying these bicycles so that we can bug out. Uh-uh. I'm buying this bicycle so that we can take our daughter for trips into the countryside and she can sit in the back. All right. All right. Now, when you take her for trips into the countryside and we're going back to the necessity of rehearsing everything that you plan to do. So you plan the trip, Daniel, and you plan the trip to follow your pre-planned escape route. How are you going to get out? How are you going to go there? What are you going to do? And just, you know, I, I don't know if you guys got bicycles, but get, get a couple of bicycles. Get one for the wife. Honey, I think uh, I think it'd be great. And we'll get the daughter. She can go in the back. Do you have any pets? Yeah, we do. You know, it's funny dog. because I was looking at your, uh, I was looking at your website and I fed your cats the other night. I fed your cats. <laughs> <laughs> we have, uh, see, this is how awesome my wife really is. I mean, the, the, it's just I understand that it's something up there, right? I understand that it's turmoil, but it sucks to be the guy that has to take it all in. She found a cat that was pregnant. The neighbors had abandoned it. It had a litter of four. I, you know, had them all spayed and neutered, and we we uh, rehomed them. Happened twice. Then we finally got the other one 
uh, clips, so that one didn't keep doing that. But we have maybe have seen 10 or 15. Yuma is known for its strays, and she has a big heart. So we still have four. One of them is like a come-and-go type of guy. He just comes and goes when he wants. The other three are kind of like our guys, you know, like the ones that we picked out of litter that we liked. So, yeah, we have we have cats, and uh, they're actually pretty good. They're pretty good alert systems when it comes to other cats, but you kind of need a dog when it comes to, like, yeah. somebody's at the door. <laughs> you know, and we have a little tiny dog that's about this big, and the, he's he's an awesome dog. He's very, very loud, but he's not going to tear anybody's throat up. So. Yeah. Well, that's it might be harder I- for somebody in the uh, in the SWAT team to hit, though, because he's so small, right? Because <laughs> don't you shoot the dogs first? So, I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's how I got my cats. You know, they were all rescue cats, and uh, my wife rescued the first two, and the third one was, uh, well, it wasn't rescue, the neighbor said, Woman said, "I'm I'm going away. Can you look after my cat?" I said, "Well, okay, I'll look after it." And she never came back. So that's how I got my cats too. Mm. Well, the dog can also fit in the cart because these these kid carts have like a covering, like a vinyl covering for rain, and then you can roll back the vinyl, and then it's like a screen, like a mosquito screen. So you can roll it back. You can put the dog in there. You can't get out. Yeah, yeah, we have one of those. Those little baskets. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We have and, one of those uh, four uh, molded seats for the back of my wife's uh, bike for our daughter as well. It's already yeah. we already have it all. So okay, so you got that great. So then just practice bugging out. Now what you're going to do yeah. is you can have your bug out bag ready in the garage just in case, right? Mm-hmm. And when the time comes, because you've already got the bikes, you already got the trailers, you've already taking your wife out and the daughter out. So it's not going to be something new and scary for your daughter. Like she's going to go, she's going to have a great time sitting in the back of a little trailer. Yeah. And that's the thing that scares me is I want to keep as much trauma away from her. I don't want artificial trauma ruining my daughter. She's a beautiful being right now. And my, my job, because that's what happened. I became a dad is to keep this world as far away from her as possible, you know? And that's, that's my only goal right now. And I love, I I want to do it. You know, it's my, it's what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm absolutely the same way. You know, I used to teach children. And I used to teach them stranger abduction uh, uh, defense, but I never told wow. them stranger. I never told them abduction. I never told them about child abuse. What I did is what we talked about earlier is mm-hmm. we role played, which is a form of rehearsal. I just role played with the kids. And so I never told them about, oh, there's men going to kidnap you and sodomize you. I, what? You're going to traumatize these kids. Just this by is, talking about it, right? By talking about the world. it. So how do you teach a kid uh, to have the instincts to avoid stranger abduction and also to avoid being groomed? Because that's the other thing, too. You don't want the, the teacher at school or the neighbor grooming them either. So what I would do is I would just go through role-playing exercises with them. And they loved it. Oh, my God, they had a good time because they're acting. They feel like they're on a TV or a movie. You know, I tell them, okay, we're going we're gonna to pretend to be in a movie. And this is what I want you to do. And this is how I want you to act. Now they've rehearsed it and rehearsed it and rehearsed it. They don't need to intellectually understand what the danger is. Right. They simply need to have an instinctive reaction to a certain circumstance. Yeah. You're going to have to do the same thing with your wife and your daughter. You can't tell them, oh, we're planning this because the end of the world and we have to escape on bicycle because we can't drive and there won't be gas and there'll be bandits on the roads. And Forget about it. Don't tell them that. It's just going to freak them out for no good reason, right? Yeah. But if you rehearse, you know, like once every other weekend, we're going to go on a picnic, right? 
So in the one cart, you bring your picnic material, right? You bring some food and baskets and, and, uh, and a ground cloth and all that. You put that in the one cart, and then you put your daughter in the other cart, and you and your wife each on a bicycle, and then you go along the trail that you've already previously set up to maybe a kind of a campground or a wilderness area, pull the stuff out, set it all up, have a picnic. You're basically recreating your bug out experience, right? right. Yeah. So Those that would, scenarios are horrible when you think of a child, though, because it's 110 degrees here on a cold day. So, I mean, you it's almost like you need to be in a vehicle with air conditioner, and even that's not even strong enough. Like, you're melting. You're uh, melting. Uh, it's, a tough, it's a tough area to be in. I, I fled the pediatricians in California. Like, my business is still three hours away. I, I commute, you know, to, to bring sauce to the store and all that. Every day? No, no, like once or twice a week. And then... uh but the reason why we left is because the first time they came, the two the two week uh, visit or was it or maybe the two month visit, and they were very pushy. They had a rep from the from the you know whatever the hell the the vaccines were for that that particular round huh. in there with him, like a pharmaceutical rep. And I was like, "You're not doing this." And I had I have history. My my brother was killed at two months old, probably from the shots. He died of SIDS in the middle of the night. Oh my god! Uh, yeah. Two months and two weeks old. Uh, my my dad, I don't think I ever put two and two together. But and it may not be true. It may not be what happened. But he was perfectly healthy, and then he just stopped breathing, and yeah. it's a side effect. So I mean, you put two yeah. and two together, you know. So that's not happening to my daughter. I saw from that experience. I'm not going to let that happen. I was yeah. eight years old, and my little brother was taken from me. You yeah. know, so not happening here. I'm not even if it's an op, if it's a possibility in one in a billion, it's not happening. Yeah, I'm not going to let it happen, especially for bullshit for bullshit science. So, yeah. Bro. No, sorry, man. Um, I got a lot to talk about. I'm sorry. No, I, I haven't heard from uh, from you in a while. No, <laughs> that's cool. I'm, I'm absorbing it all in. One thing that, um, Stefan, that I feel is overlooked when you get into survival planning, uh, people think of food, people think of weapons and, uh, you know, water. I think the most overlooked thing in survival planning is medical care. Simple thing, and I say simple, it doesn't take long to learn these things. How, how to do a tourniquet. Um, very simple things that can save your life. Um, where, do you, where do you stand on medical care? And what things should people have in place for when it hits the fan? Well, when I do con- consultations on uh, being, being survived, I prefer the term survivalist. Surviving, I go according to five categories, five areas of expertise that you need to address for any kind of a survival situation. And they are medical, shelter, nourishment, communications, and security. Number one is medical. And I base this on the law of threes, right? The law of threes is you can live three minutes without air, um, three hours without shelter if you're in Canada. Right, in the cold. Yeah, uh, three days without water, three weeks without food. So that's that's the priority that I put things at. So the number one priority is medical care. And as you know, I used to work uh, as an instructor for St. John Ambulance, which is the yep. uh, British Commonwealth version of the Red Cross. And um, we, and, and again, speaking about rehearsal, and uh, we used to be, do an annual disaster simulation drill where they close down two, three blocks of the downtown core of the, of the, the town where, uh, where I worked out of. And we would simulate a disaster, including, and you know, we'd set fires to bins in the corner and we'd have uh, volunteers that I would apply the makeup. I did the makeup for this stuff. 
uh, injury makeup. You know, this is a third degree burn. This is a, 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 a arterial bleed. This is a open fracture. This is an embedded object, you know, and we would, you know, use liberal doses of fake blood and things like that and have them spread throughout the area and, and pretend to be injured. And then the volunteer ambulance attendants in coordination with the real ambulance attendants and paramedics and, and police, we would descend on the scene and, and, and um, you know, they would have to do triage and they have to address the, the immediate threat. So we'd set something on fire. So the first thing they have to do is go put out the fire and then they'd have to go check all the casualties and then put them in triage and you know, all uh, unconscious non-breathing of course is going to be top priority and so again that's what the three minute rule um you have to get them breathing and you have to get their heart started so i place a lot of importance on medical kit and then what i recommend and I, i'll go through it with people but we don't have time for it now but i i include a robust medical kit it's not just one little th- one of those little kits you buy at the at, at the drugstore or at the automotive shop, something like that. I put right. together a decent kit. Like you can start with that, but then you add to it. And I add everything I can to my kit. I add suture kits. I add burn dressings. I add lots of pressure dressings. I add um, antibiotics and Benadryl and histamines and epipens and you know I as much as I can get because. During a crisis situation, there is going to be a lot of medical emergencies. People running around, getting into accidents, and falling over themselves, and uh, and and that's assuming that it's nothing is really serious going on. If you've got people, you know, driving down the street, opening fire, and throwing Molotov cocktails in everybody's house, uh, then you're going to have a hell of a lot of injuries. So, I want to make myself useful to the community. So that's why. I have a really good medical kit, and if anybody's in, oh, we're frozen. Hang tight. We have frozen. I'm gonna try to restart, guys. Hang tight. There we go. And we're back. I got got disconnected by it. So I guess I have to start us up again here. Hold on. I just decided that might mean that I also may have lost. Yeah, that's weird. It's going to beep off in a second here. Okay. Live streaming is on. I think I I set the settings that that Josh told me to set, George, so that if that does happen, if I don't like if I accidentally click the red button instead of saying stop stream, that I don't lose it. So hopefully that kicking me off didn't just lose all that. But you have the audio, so that'll be all right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, that's that's my uh, my take on the medical kit there, George. Yeah, and well, one thing people need to understand: remember. Uh, History is very important. Learn from history. More soldiers died in World War I from uh, disease 
yeah. than bullets. Yeah, trench foot. Simple things. Yeah. When you're in the military, anybody's been in the military, your NCO always says, "Change your socks." Did you change your socks? That yep, that'll lead I to trench that. foot. Um, so remember, when you're packing your go bag, simple things like have a travel uh, tooth uh, toothbrush, toothpaste. Um, you got to be cognizant of health. There's so many, so many things you have to prepare for to survive. That's why it's really important. Go to uh, ChinaStrategies.com. He talks about food. He talks about clean water, medical care, gasoline. Um, right? What for for your devices for you to survive on? What are you going to use? Solar? You're going to use gas? You're going to use electricity? What are you going to use to cook your food? Security, right? Anytime yeah. you move, uh, Danny was talking about how you're most vulnerable when you're moving. And that is a fact, brother. Um, like every now and then, we'd get hit by a stray rocket or a mortar and we'd lose somebody. But most of the deaths in Iraq happened from IEDs and small arms attacks when we were on the move. So security is another big thing. And when you get to your next, if you have to bug out, when you get to your next position, there's an order that you have to have. In fact, the first is set up security. And then get your shelter. Then where's your food and water coming from? There's an order to all these stuff. And if yeah. you're genuinely concerned about how you're going to protect yourself, your families, uh, go on to Stefan's website, chinastrategies.com. I mean, $50 is nothing for a video game. Why wouldn't you get these books right. and prepare for a disaster? And if you guys want to, there's also a giant encyclopedia, I believe it's from the 1880s, that I also purchased from this site. And it's over a thousand pages, and it's how to live without electricity. It's just how they used to do it, and I, yeah, you know, amazing actually, what they what 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 they knew in those days. They did everything themselves. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, human, I'm sorry. I was just oh, going to say the ahead. human race lasted thousands of years without electricity, and this is the sure, knowledge right? to show you how it was done before all these. Uh, you know, how we can walk into a house and turn on your air conditioning and plug in your, your radio and your TV. People need yeah. to learn how to survive without uh, the things that were been provided today. Oh, yeah. Places like where I live would be uninhabitable without electricity. That's oh, yeah. the problem. People now are comfortable living in a spot that it's not natural to live in. Like, it's not natural to live in the middle of the Las Vegas desert. It's not natural to live in Yuma. Mm -hmm. You would avoid these places if you were having to survive there. It's not something that you're... Yeah, you're already in a spot you need to get out of if it yeah. came to that, you know? Yeah, so, you have to get out of Yuma, absolutely. One thing I wanted to... And we just froze again. We are at the mercy of technology. Once again, you're listening to a live stream with uh, Daniel from Ballbusters and uh, Stefan, who is uh, Stefan Verstappen. The Renaissance Man, the complete works of Stefan Verstappen, which can be found at chinastrategies.com. Uh, well, um, well worth your time to check it out. I'm going to refresh the screen here. We're going to pop back up and hopefully uh, re-enter the stream here. Once again, we're at the mercy of technology. We are streaming live on Josh Who TV. Um, and this is the roundtable with uh, Daniel from Ballbusters. And uh, the legendary Stefan Verstappen, who is um, big in the survivalist field. And we should be rejoining uh, right now. Just wait. Three, two, one. Three, two, one. We're almost there, guys. Hang in there.
I'm not sure if it's going to come back up. And that's... Uh, not seeing it. So anyway, we are going to take a break. And hopefully within the next 60 seconds... We'll have it figured out. Stand by. You are listening to the Fact Hunter Radio Network.
All right, and we're back. We should be good to go. I'm just entering my name. Looks like we had to restart the entire room. Yeah, it looks like we're coming on board. Apologize. Once again, we are at the mercy of technology. We should be molding in allow. And there Herber, we go. Um, it's saying that it's down, but we're back up, I guess. So yeah, we're back It said up. the North American server that Josh uses is down. I'm not... I'm not sure how long this is going to last, but it already well, kicked that me. Was your, that was your comment to the NSA. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> can you guys hear me okay? Yep, I can okay. hear you fine. I'm trying to start a live stream, and it's telling me that all streamers are currently busy. So it sounds like he has a limited amount and that we got kicked off because someone else's show might be going on. Well, you have this in we're recording. Still, we're still streaming. Yeah. Well, Not listen, we're coming up. Uh, two hours here. I, we can always do this again in a week or so. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So the one thing I was going to ask you guys, if I, if you don't mind, um, real quick. Sure. The uh, the Inovio thing that I showed that I sent you um, in that email, like talking about the electric pulse that activates this uh, the shot that Spark helps it. Yeah, it opens up a gate that helps the. Um, get into your cells and it's DNA, it's foreign DNA, God knows what. Mm-hmm. And it's going to, that's how it's going to be administered. So it's going to change what you are, change who you are cell by cell. There, to me, that sounds like it's parasitic. And you've brought, mm-hmm. Stefan, you brought up the, the parasite element of this evil that we face in this world quite a lot. Um, and one thing that I noticed that uh, I, I had, to, I had to learn because I never knew it was even a thing was Turpentine. Turpentine, like you said, kerosene. Like I think you said you can make kerosene. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like distilled pine gum resin used to be the cure for all types of parasitic issues. Right. Um, getting rid of uh, heavy metal toxins, all that stuff. Um, Keep talking. I'm just going to get stuff. I can hear you. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, with that, I mean, it's been bastardized ever since the Rockefellers came into the picture as far as medicine, but any of those old texts, you're going to hear that turpentine was just, it was, it was a BL and cure for anything that, that ailed a man or a woman, you know? And I just found that kind of interesting that, you know, this thing might have a parasitic nature to it. And that turpentine might be one of those things you want to throw in your go bag. Man, you know? That's a great, a great, great point. And, mm-hmm. um, if I remember correctly, it, uh, you know, I always go down the rabbit hole and, uh, what was the name of that company again? Uh, the ion oh, Inovio. Inovio, thank yeah, you. Yeah, you're talking about the Walton uh, or the Wal is it the Walton Academy or something like that? The Wharton Business School of the University of Pennsylvania. And if you look at uh all the people Guys, who went sorry, through it, I think it's I think it's gonna work. I don't mean to interrupt you. I think it's gonna start back on. Okay, cool. No, I'll have cool. to piece this together, but live streaming, live streaming is go. on. And we're gonna be really um you know, sensitive to uh Stefan's time too. Of course. But we were talking about turpentine and how it's you know, it's it, it fights parasites, and it's been a known medicine for many, many hundreds of years before the Rockefellers came into the, into the picture. And these vaccines and what they're trying to do with us, it seems like it be parasitic in nature, so that maybe turpentine would be something we'd want to throw in our go bag. So that's where we left off, and this is where uh, George is now going to take the conversation. Uh, no, that that's, uh, you, were, you were spot on. Oh, wherever else you're going to go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Can you hear me all right? 
I can. George? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I just lost my train of thought there. I'm sorry. Um, I got you. I got you. Uh, what were we talking about? What was I talking about before them? Help me out. Um, go bag, uh, Novio and oh, those people. Yeah. Yeah. So the Wharton business school, um, CIA, very much a CIA breeding gown. If you look at the people who've gone through there, you got Elon Musk, you got Donald Trump, you have the CEO of the alphabet group who owns, uh, was it, um, Google, any fortune 500 company has gone through there. So again, you look at, uh, Inovio, the guy who runs Inovio, once again, went to the Wharton business school. It, it's, it's all, uh, very much uh, part of the CIA plan. But you're right. Turpentine should be part uh, of your go bag because before the Rockefellers hijacked the medical industry back in, what, the 1910s era, and they took over the AMA. And uh, mm-hmm. it's just uh, something that... Uh, yeah, murder by injection by Eustace Mullins, I yes. think, should be part of your... your- daily curriculum you know if, if if it's not a survival guide at this point i don't know what else is but when i went more down that inovio rabbit hole uh, a gentleman has a website that says if you've been uh if you've already gotten the jab there are remedies that you can take to get rid of the things that is in your body but i don't really i'm not a doctor i don't feel comfortable talking about it but there are people out there who are saying there are things that you can take because there are people out there that i'm sure that have gotten it and they're remorseful at this point. And I'm not sure if that's something Absolutely. Stefan can te- touch on or. Well, you know, I'll be honest with you. I, I don't have, I don't know enough about it to give a, a, an educated opinion about it. I've heard about turpentine uh, being able to remove parasites. I'm worried about, you know, what they've done with turpentine is what they did with uh, booze back in the, during the prohibition era when right. the government spiked the booze with wood alcohol to make people blind. Yeah. Right. Right. And uh, so, th- which gave a bad reputation to moonshine. Uh, they utilize a petroleum product for turpentine, yeah. which is also what Rockefeller standard oil makes. Right. So exactly. they, would, they would make it poison and they did do that. You're absolutely right. So you have to find something that doesn't have any of that in it. So to look for it under distilled pine gum resin is a lot easier to get to where you need to go. Yeah, I'm thinking something like that. You'd you'd have yeah. to research it, but I I haven't researched it, so I don't really know very much about it, and I don't want to offer an opinion that uh, uh, you know I don't have backing for. But I would say, um, listen, everything that we see now is a parasitic strategy, anyways. Um, the powers that be, they're parasites. Your government is a parasite. I will argue that everyone that works for the government is a parasite. Yeah. But what is a parasite? A parasite is something is an is an entity, a creature that uh, extracts resources from an unwilling host and gives nothing back. So, if you work for the government, you're getting paid by hardworking people that pay their taxes. And what do you give back? Paperwork, license, building permits. You know, like I, all of that stuff. It's just a way of collecting taxes. It's all yeah. paper. Paper you show. get permission from somebody who had no no position ever trying to act as an authority in the first place to give you permission to do something. You already had the permission. You That's know? right. And you have yeah. to pay your salary and a very good retirement plan, too, by the way. So uh, to me, they're all parasites. And um, when I was researching uh, Defense Against a Psychopath, I approached that subject first as a – because I'm trying to understand, you know, 
things in a natural sense and natural what, what you know how does this work in nature and so my first uh, um, video approaches uh, par- uh, psychopaths as though they were predators and yes they are predators in a sense but actually they're not predators they're parasites and and parasites are really complex creatures and it's quite interesting here's a couple of things that parasites do first of all they enter the host by disguise right so they're refugees they're you know persecuted people you know give us place you know you send us you're tired you're hungry you're poor um so they enter a a, a host through subterfuge and through a false uh, a false front once they get in there what they do is they bring with them other diseases Parasites bring with them other diseases. And this is so to disguise their presence within the host. So the body's immune system reacts because now it's got a parasite. But the parasite brought a bunch of bacteria in with it. So now the body doesn't know what's making it sick. So the body will attack the most obvious thing, which is the bacteria that the parasite brought in with it. And it's sort of a, it's a, what we call, you know, a muddying the waters so the parasite disguises itself by mixing among a various numbers of diseases. So you can't identify the parasite clearly. The immune system can't reach them and, and, and eliminate them. Then the next thing that the parasite does is it attacks the brain of the host. This happens in most cases of parasites. So there's a parasite that will attack a fish and it will cause the fish to swim near the surface, belly up. Completely irregular behavior for a fish. But their shiny belly, therefore, attracts birds of prey that will eat the fish, and this completes the parasite's life cycle. So the parasite has to get eaten uh, by a fish. Then the fish, the parasite goes uh, uh, from the fish into the bird. The bird shits it out. The parasite goes back in the water and infects the fish again. But what it does is it it affects the brain of the fish to behave in ways that are suicidal. Mm -hmm. So you look at our society. We've got the same thing. We've got these parasites that come in here, and uh, most of them are through disguise, and they bring all the garbage with them, okay? And I'll argue that most of this, you know, refugee third-world immigration this is just bringing in the extra diseases to cover up because a lot of times, look, you know, we're, we're not going to Africa and invading their countries by the millions, okay? We're not doing that. But they're coming over here, and are they a benefit? Is this diversity improving my life? No, it's not. We're paying for them, and in return, we get a lot of crime and violence in bad neighborhoods. So I'm not really, you know, I know that makes me sound racist and all that, but I dare anybody that calls me racist, go to the neighborhood I grew up and walk down the street for an hour. And then we'll, if you are still alive, um, then we can talk about how racist I am. But it's part of the strategy. It's the reason they're bringing in all the Mexicans and the Arabs and the Muslims and all this kind of stuff is because these people cause trouble. They know they cause trouble. And while they cause trouble, we are distracted with all these petty problems with, with diversity while the real parasites continue to burrow out our economy and our society. And then the next thing they do is they attack the mental uh, 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 facilities of their host 
and cause and, and there's when you read up on it, there's all kinds of examples. It's really bizarre, all the different things. So, you know, there's a, a parasite that infects an ant, and the parasite needs to digest in the belly of a cow. So when the cow is grazing, these ants are forced to climb to the top of the grass where they'll be eaten first by the cow. It's the parasite that infects the brain of the ants so that they climb to the top. I mean, this is how complex and specific how can a a parasitic organism right do mind control on an ant to change such a specific behavior as climbing to the top of a blade of grass what we think we know about conscious sentient beings is completely bogus because something that small shouldn't have that capacity exactly. and that's that's the thing it's like so what and what that brings me to the question what builds nano what kind of tiny tools did you use to build a complex machine that you can't see? Something smaller built that. Something yeah. tinier than us built something. If, if nano is a real thing and not just a piece of metal shaving, then if it was a complex machine with intricate little details to it, something smaller in stature had to have built it, not us. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. You know, it's like everything's about size. And, and like you said, like even with cordyceps, the uh the the fungus that grows in the ant and like yes grows yes. out of their head and blows out the spores mm-hmm. and then then they have also the um the the stomach bacteria that gets in the mice and makes them sexually attracted to cats because yeah. their end their end game is that they want to be in the digestive tract of a cat yeah so how do they know that how do they know what to do I know how do they know <laughs> bizarre but if these microorganisms can do that this is what you know, uh, Ilya Prigogine, who, was, who won the Nobel Prize for Physics on his uh, dissipative structures, chaos, Order Out of Chaos was his book, but it was like a scientific thing. Mm-hmm. Him and many others like Schopenhauer view society as an organism. So if, we, if, our, if America is a living entity and its bodies, its cells are made up of all the individual people that live in it, then that entity can likewise be infiltrated by a parasite, taken over by a parasite, and then guess what? You know, mind control. What are these elites always so concerned about? Controlling their minds and forcing them to do what we want them to. And then, you know, it's the propaganda and it's the media and it's the TV and it's the radio and it's, you know, full tilt boogie. Look what we have here with the COVID. I mean, 24-7, nonstop, full spectrum propaganda on every possible media channel uh i mean but that's that's the workings of a parasite right you know in order to mind control us and what do the parasites do to their host they make them suicidal yes sir and behave in suicidal ways so now we know we got mass psychosis and uh, people are lining up to get the the injection that's <laughs> suicidal. Hello, line me up to kill me, please. And they line up to to be murdered. But that is because the parasite that has taken over our society has brainwashed people, created this mass psychosis. Now people can't work together. They can't figure out what's going on. They can't save themselves. We can't fight it, and that's the problem, you know. Mm-hmm. But, but so when you're talking about you know the nanobots and the five G activating and all that, yeah, perfectly plausible. You know, Stefan, you mentioned in a previous I, – I keep on reverting back because I have hours upon hours upon hours of your uh, previous 
interviews to, to go off of. Oh, my condolences. No, they're beautiful. <laughs> they're awesome. And they, they, they pass the time driving back and forth to San Diego. They're great. <laughs> but you did mention, and I, and I, this is something that I've said myself before, even knowing that you said it as well. You don't grow, you don't start with a soul. You have a divine spark or whatever. You grow a soul. You cultivate it through nurture, through, through, through wanting to, to be better, basically, you want you. You're here. This is the here and now. You live in the moment. You gain what you can from it. You become a good person. You get humble. You're you're all those things, or you're not. And either the spark goes out, or it doesn't. You know. And it's kind of funny that you said you did, to look at the world as a you know or or the America or whatever as an organism because it's almost like somebody took Sophia or took God and obliterated him into tiny little pieces. And each one of us got a little tiny piece. And now they're just going out and they're stepping on the embers and they're putting them out. You know, good point. Good point, Daniel. I hadn't thought about that. So So what about you had an archon experience when you said you were in a realm, you were astral projecting one time and you, you saw, you came across, I may have had a similar experience, but I was in an altered state of mind with something. And everything looked the same, but the properties were different. It's like, it's like different realms are layered on top of one another. If your frequency lowers or higher, like how you vibrate, it's like you see different things. You're still in the same place. There's no need for other worlds. There's it's it's all right here. It's right. just because you know what they say about us having mostly just empty space in us. Yeah. Maybe if we operate on a different frequency, we can see things that we normally can't see. And it's just the way it is. And you when you notice and you're upfront with something and you see something for the and it freaks you out. It's like normally that would just be a benign thing, but for some reason right now you feel a presence in it that you didn't feel before. What is that? You know, it's yeah. I kind of went off on a tangent there, but yes, yeah. you do, Daniel. <laughs> George, spank him for me, will you? Yeah, yeah, that would be sure. my pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now it just got weird. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Oh, Stephon. here's the other question. I- Okay. Uh-huh. I was just going to say, you were talking about if you work for the federal government, you're a parasite. Does anybody want to guess who the the largest employer, not just here in the United States, <clears throat> but in the entire world is? The entire world, the number one employer. I give up who? The, U- the United States Department of Defense with 3.2 million employees. And that's if you count... You know, all the military, the Air Force, the Marines, the Army, and all the contractors that go with it, 3.2 million. Number two, Walmart. Number three, the People's Liberation Army of China. So you right. have number one is people working for the government. Yeah. Yeah. And working in a defense because that's really offense, the par- Department of Offense. Precisely. That's right. Precisely. <laughs> no, I, I, I liken government to the 90 pound tumor. Um, I don't know if you ever seen it. it was on a medical show or something like that. You know, they brought this woman and she had a hundred pound tumor. I mean, it was, you know, it was the biggest a 12 year old child. It was a, growing out of her back. Oh my God. Oh, it was hideous, you know? And so they had to try to remove it. They're going to cut it off her. But the problem was that the giant tumor had created its own blood vessels into her body. So it now had like 50, 60, arteries and veins and everything growing into her body from the tumor so that it could suck nutrition out of her and they couldn't get the tumor off well they what they had they worked on it but it took them days to slowly go 
and cauterize each each artery, you know, um, get the hemostat and cut it off and cauterize it and then cut the tumor away from that area, then go to the next artery and uh, cut it off and cauterize it and cut it off. It took hours and hours and hours to get that tumor off her back. It is so creepy. What a hideous thing, right? Because the tumor, it's, it's like a living thing all by itself that it creates its own blood vessels into your body so that it can suck the blood out of you. That's government. The government creates all these blood vessels into the body of our civilization, and you can't get out of it because if you try to just cut it off, you will bleed to death. That's the problem. So if we were to suddenly go out and, you know, kill everybody in the government, well, we would bleed to death. You just can't do it. You have to take each little piece, isolate it, cut it off, and then get rid of it. So we have to dismantle government little piece at a time, little piece at a time. But government is, you know, if we assume that civilization is a living organism, government is the 100-pound tumor on our back sucking the life out of us and um, the yeah, that's I exactly. vote that we cut the CIA vessel first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good one too. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I, I vote we cut IRS first. That's yeah, a good one. The Fed, and that's that yeah. leads into the perfect segue to back when I was in the military. My first NCO I ever had back at Fort Polk, Louisiana. He said, "Don't ever come to me with a problem unless you have a solution." So, Stefan, I challenge you. What What's the first step we take on the I don't want to say the offense, but I mean, how do we fix what's going on with the federal government completely taking over our lives in when looking at the Constitution? I mean, I people talk about the First Amendment, the Second Amendment. To me, the Tenth Amendment is so important. The fact is, if it's not covered in the Bill of Rights of the Constitution, the power goes to the state and the people. But they hijacked education in 79. They hijacked health care on and on and on. How do we fight back? How do we regain our freedom? Well, you know, this is Daniel was mentioning, uh, you know, talking about the little spark of soul and growing it and all that. And in that same talk I gave, it's, um, I spoke about another facet of Gurchev's work that, that comes from Gurchev. And uh, I, I tend to agree with that part of it because I've seen it kind of myself. Um. But first of all, we have to restore the soul to to our society. We don't; our soul has been destroyed. To that little spark uh, of light that that would grow into a soul has been destroyed. I yeah, mean, Yuri Bezmenov warned about that: the demoralization of society. Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly what he was talking about: the demoralization of society. So now we have nothing left. We have no culture. We no have no history. We have no community. We have no traditions. We don't have our own folk songs anymore. We don't have our own symbols and and costumes and clothing and official. It's all gone. It sucked all of that out of us. And just like with, you know, when we talk about the spiritual paths, and you know, I always get these questions. Well, if only humanity can do this, and if people can do that, then then we people should do this. You know, you hear that all the time from people that you know, follow spiritual paths. And I'm going, yeah, well, people can't do that. You can't get there from here because they're not people. Man number four could do that, but people can't do that. Well, you can't people, polish a turd. Right? Yeah, you, you know, people need to get discipline. People need to wake up. People need to critical think. People, need, Yeah, they do need all that, but they can't because 
they are not man number four. And, and in this case, what I mean by man number four is somebody that has trained and developed and built their soul through hardship and struggle and research and reading books and education and experience and observing and being humble. And this is how you build your soul. Now, if you have, you know, the remnants or, or at least a piece of a soul, now you can do all those things. Now you can be critically thinking. Now you can, you know, examine the world, you know, what you, what you wrote so nicely in the introduction, you know, the, the self-examined life. That's how you build your soul, you know, by living in the present moment and by drawing on various, you know, you, you draw on music, you draw on art, you draw on philosophy, you draw on theater, you know, and, and, and uplifting kinds of information and energy that builds your soul. And then once you have a soul, now you can do things, but people that don't do that, they're just automatons. I tell people, well, you know, Asking people to wake up is like talking to your toaster and saying, how come you're not a microwave? <laughs> Why don't you become a white? Here's a book on how to become a, the way of the microwave. Read it, toaster. You bastard. No, but this is what we're doing. <laughs> we're expecting things from people that they are incapable of doing. So waking up and fighting the government. No, that's not going to happen. No. They can't wake up and fight the government. And maybe some of those people are set here to, to just to keep us busy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the people that are real, the ones that still have the ember to be stomped out. Those, yeah. those people, we're, we're all yelling to the wall and talking to a damn wall, and they're just coming up behind us and popping us off, you know, because we're too busy trying to save dog crap. You yeah. know, it's, it's great to be the Bodhisattva or the Buddha, but know who you're talking to first so you're not wasting your time. Yeah. Exactly. You know, do not cast pearls before swine. Right. And um, so if we were to assume that. Listen, first of all, we've lost this war. Let's make no mistake about it. We've lost. Uh, our role right now is um, escape and evade. That's our, our strategy from this point on, okay? Escape and evade. Um, go underground. The Japanese have a saying called, be like grass, meaning that you're so ordinary and uninteresting that people don't even notice you. That's a good strategy to adopt right now. So that no, unfortunately, the three of us are on that list. So it's too. Yeah, late. we just failed with this broadcast. <laughs> yeah. but for everybody else listening, just go under, underground, be be non obtrusive, and uh, blend in because it's an escape and evade strategy right now. Because we have lost this war, but if we were to try and figure out a way to fight back and regain our society, then the same thing I would say, like the same with a human being. You know, if you want them to, you know, become self-actualized and uh, um, be a, a vital, passionate, you know, that's the other thing. I don't see passion anymore. I don't see a lot of passion. I don't see a lot of people going like, Jesus Christ, I'm, 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 I'm mad as hell and I won't take it anymore. I don't see a lot of that, you know. It's been replaced um, with vanity and TikTok videos. Exactly. Which but is maybe so, me. Yeah, pay attention to me because I'm worth something, even though I haven't proven I'm worth anything yet. Instead of exactly. us, yes. Yeah, exactly. It's all me, 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 me. And, uh, you know, I, I speak out about that all the time. I, you know, I said, everybody's got a fucking opinion. I'm sick of it. You know, every time I look at somebody walking down the street, I can tell they want to tell me what they think. Right. <laughs> the greatest trick the devil ever pulled wasn't convincing the world he didn't exist. It was convincing everybody that their opinion mattered. There you yeah. go. <laughs> yeah. So... If we were to somehow, now again, you know, in the theory of historical cycles, 
this is all going to come to an end. Now, how many people it takes down with them, how many people they kill with this, this you know, mass genocide that they're planning, that we don't know yet. And that's why I said we've already lost and we're, we're on a, you know, escape and evade, survive at all costs mode right now. But according to the theory of historical cycles, even this will pass. And then society will begin anew. But it will begin anew through warriors. Because the next phase is called the warrior phase. And it's the warriors that bring back this, the fighting spirit to flush the sewers. They're the ones that have the passion again, you know, to protect their wives and families and fight. And so I would say let's nurture because our society is doomed. But where possible, we need to nurture that soul again. And so what does that mean? Living a humble life, living a good life, giving to our neighbors, giving to our families, trying to create a calm and and beauty. Like, you know, I still do my art. I still go out at late at night and play my guitar and harmonica. I still go travel in the forest. The people I talk to, uh, especially on the consultations, after I'm finished talking to them, they are so much happier and calmer and more confident. And the reason they are like that is because I just talk to them in a very calm, reassuring voice. And, um, you know, I, I know what I'm, I, I know sort of the image I project, which is a good image, and that is a kindly old grandfather that has some wisdom. So that is my role in society now because of my age and that, and I'm happy to play that role, to be calm and spread wisdom and let people feel, you know, when they're in my company, everybody feels relaxed, okay? Now they're safe. So so I've seen this many times, and it's not to brag or boast or anything like that, but I'm saying it's, again, it's part of the warrior way. You have your inner peace, but that kind of radiates around you, and so you can go into a group of people where everybody's anxious and nervous and and, and, in. you know, not confident and insecure and all that. And you just be kind and understanding and gentle and you talk to them slowly and calmly and maybe with a little bit of a joke and and, and a laugh thrown in because this will start to build up the soul of those people. And the more we can feed other people's souls, the more soul our society will have, if that makes any sense. But again, I'm taking macrocosm, microcosm as above, so below. So if that's how it works for a human being, the only way I can teach a human being to self-actualize is to do all those things. Read, study, be humble, exercise, become a martial artist, travel in the woods, look up at the stars, you know, read philosophy, visit art galleries and view beautiful paintings and sculptures, like real paintings and real sculptures. Um, that will feed your soul. And so what we need to do is, those of us, we need to be an influence in our society to feed everybody else's soul. So once this all turns to shit, at least we've planted the seeds of warriorhood and decency. And, you know, these psychopaths all turn on each other eventually in the end, okay? They're all going to cut each other's throats too. Listen, they, they work together to kill us. Oh, they're all happy to do that. But once... A lot of us are gone, and now there's only one, you know, only one uh, can be at the top. What's that, uh, Highlander? There can only be one. There can only be one, right? So (laughs) it always comes down to there can only be one. Bill Gates is going to be king of the world, but wait a minute. 
Fauci stabs Bill Gates in the back with a poison dagger. Now, Fauci is the only one. But wait a minute. Kamala Harris comes up and she poisons Fauci's tea. And now she's the one. This is the way it goes with the psychopaths at the end, right? That's the Brutus era. Yeah. So (laughs) what I tell people is we got to survive long enough to let these people kill each other off. We can't kill them as much as I want to. You know, I I give my left nut to have... uh, Bill Gates in a room, in a dark room for about an hour, you know, me, Bill Gates and a blowtorch. I would I would pay for that. But anyways, we can't get to them. We can't. So let them kill each other off. And our job is to survive long enough and secretly underground, because you know how they hate inspiration and talents and beauty and kindness. They hate that. Why do you think they hate that? That's anthema to to them. Right. That's the the antidote to their psychopathic desire to degrade everything and like you said with uh, uh, Yuri Brezhnev the uh, the, the uh, demoralization mm-hmm. so to counter the demoralization we have to be independent instruments of goodness and joy and life there you go yes sir and it's funny thing about Yuri he also said that to these people it'll it'll be the subversion will have gone so deep that even if you showed them evidence in their face, like like we have been, they're not going to see it. Those people are already they're they need to be reborn in the in the most literal sense, you know. And it's one of those things where this type of event may clear some of the clutter. As as horrible as that sounds, sometimes there's just no coming back because you you're already your own existence depends too much on this stuff to be true that you can't hear anything else. You can't see it. Yeah. They've, they've short-circuited you. Yeah. And, you know, what, what you've been doing your whole life is how you fix it. You just, you can't, on a mass scale, but you can do what you do in your community. You can exactly. have these conversations with people like us, and we can remind ourselves that, we're, we, that we still exist, and we can feel that type of confidence moving forward that we're not the only one that thinks this way, that feel this way, that see what's happening. We're not the only people that are dealing with this and have to deal with it because of that that burden of awareness that causes all this strife in the first place. Because if we were the, the common guy, it's just another day. But for yeah. us, we're like thinking and plotting and buying chickens. And I, that, that that's awesome about you moving out there. And, the, and I think it's great, George, that you did that. I, anything, it, it just doing something is doing something, you know, even if it ends up being nothing, you know, you know, you did something, you didn't just sit around and wait for it to happen, you know, yeah. or yeah. you're, or you got blindsided because you never even saw it. That's the worst thing I think. Yeah. yeah. That's I was my, like this. Yeah, go ahead, George. I was just going to say, and that's if there's one message I could convey to the younger listeners, because you know we get so many listeners to this podcast. Listen, I, I promise you that I'm not smarter than most of the people listening to this podcast. But there's something called wisdom, and you need to understand that Stefan, Daniel, myself, we've been around the world. We've been through so many situations. Don't take the advice we're taking as we think we're smarter than you. It's that we've no. been through this before, and we are simply taking the knowledge we have of life experience, okay? You might be smarter geometry, science, whatever, but life experience, you can't compare that to somebody who's been through the life cycles, and that's really what we live in. Every 20 years, it's it repeats itself. So anybody within the earshot of this podcast— Take the knowledge that's been given with you. Prepare. 
rehearse, uh, learn medical. And, and right now, while we still have the internet at your fingertips, and gentlemen, I think we can all agree that it's not going to be here forever. At some point, they're going to shut it down. Do you guys agree with that? Yeah, yes. because they have Starlink up in the air for their drones and uh, to communicate with other systems. They can shut down our power and be perfectly okay. They'll they'll have their own, as in my opinion. They'll have all this frequency and all the stuff that they need. But for us specifically, they're going to make it out like everybody's out of power, but when they, they probably won't be. Yeah, precisely. So take this information. Um, learn the simple trades. Understand that the fiat dollar is going to be gone the petrodollar is going to be gone. The internet's going to be gone at some point. And it's going to, especially if you're a, a, a man with a wife and children, it's going to be your responsibility, okay? To be a man. To be a man and care and protect your wife, your family, your children, your grandchildren. So, as much as you enjoy watching Seinfeld from 93, season five, or maybe you like watching Breaking Bad. We're playing a little Call of Duty. The fact of the matter is, whether you're religious or spiritual, you have to understand we are coming to a new chapter in this world. And I urge each and every one of you to prepare for the next chapter of this. Um, I mean, I don't know what to say, but we are definitely moving into a new chapter. And the weak will perish and the strong, as they say, I don't mean to be, uh, but the strong are going to survive. And it's up to you. Contemplate how to adapt to things and be be willing to change your ways and yeah. do do with less. You know, get rid of the clutter. If you haven't used it in, in a year, get rid of it. You know, if that means a garage sale or if that just means get the clutter out of your life. You know, you know, clutter up here is clutter out there. So if your house looks like a mess, you probably have some clutter up here you need to deal with first. Yeah. And I think I think maybe the mental... The mental clutter is what is bogging a lot of people down. I've got ADD. I got ADHD. And and George, like you said, we're not smarter than anybody else. But you know, I do get frustrated sometimes, and I will say like I like I am like I'll talk. I'll I'll refer to the people that are holding the signs and screaming about getting vaccinated. I'll call them the talking cattle. I'll call them the talking livestock. You know, I'll call them chickens about to get fried. You know, and it's stuff. But. I'm not saying that if you're listening to this and you're and you're absorbing and, and getting something out of it, I'm, I'm not talking about you. That's not who who I'm referring to. It's the people that put us in these positions by their compliance and 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 their support of these types of evils that I'm referring to. I mean, they might not be as evil as the people that are manipulating them, but they have an active role, and everybody is liable and responsible for their actions. At the end of the day, if we tell you and it's the information's there, we found the information. If they still can be that far in in La La Land, I'm sorry, but until they come around or don't come around, they have to be considered part of the problem. Absolutely. I mean, just ask yourself one question, just one question. If your local grocery store wasn't open tomorrow, where are you getting your food? Just ponder that one um, question. And if that doesn't get you scratching your head and deep into planning, then I don't know what will. And don't think that it won't happen. You got that right. Because just look at BlackRock and Vanguard. They own every major company, whether it's social media, uh, grocery stores, uh, Fox, CNBC, MSNBC. They own it all. And if they want to throw the switch, they can. And again, if you can't get into the grocery store tomorrow, 
how are you feeding your family? And if you don't when know that Genesis answer, by, sorry. no, no, I was yeah. just going to say, if you don't know to the answer, then take advice from those who have the wisdom. And once again, go to uh, chinastrategies.com, and I'm sure many of those answers will be there. I, I got to update the website. <laughs> You're getting a lot of what you what you think's on my website, probably from my YouTube channel and from my talks. Not all of it is on my website. I got to take a look. I'll have to update it. Well, the books that he's referring to, um, yeah, books are yeah, like how to re, re, rebuild yeah. society from scratch. And yeah. that's something. That yeah. you, you're going to want to have on a flash drive somewhere. But if you're responsible yeah. for the well-being of children and your wife, you, you need oh, yeah. to know how. You have to know. Absolutely. And and we're headed that your way. Duty as a man. It's your duty as a man. It's your obligation. Yes, and Stefan, it's people, it's people like you out there that have lived your life the way a human should that, you know, you are a national treasure. Yeah, plain and simple. <laughs> and uh, I've noted. I mean, yeah, I'm glad that you're humble like that because that's part of what makes you who you are, and that's why I appreciate and respect you because of that. You know, James Bond didn't go around telling everybody how cool he was. He was just cool. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You don't have to go around telling everybody your accolades because it shines through if you're a smart person and can pick up on it. Oh, so I, I think yeah. Chuck Norris and checks like, under his bed at night for Stefan Verstappen. Yes. He's like the Alan Watts, but he can kick your ass. <laughs> well, unlike my two other hosts tonight, uh, I am smarter than everybody else. <laughs> I agree. No doubt. I tested 135 and 145 on those silly tests. So who knows I, what I am, but... I'm just kidding. But <laughs> to uh, quote the immortal words of uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, don't let it bring you down. Leave a better world than you found. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of what I've tried to do. Like everywhere I've been, I, I, if I go for a walk in the woods and I see garbage, I'll pick it up and I'll bring it with me. What's the deal? You know, exactly. like if, um, you know, I, I, I see a stray cat and I got some, I'll bring it home. And, you know, that's why I have all these goddamn cats. Um, <laughs> You know, you go to Ventura. I lived in Ventura. You walk down Main Street, right across from the main church, the old the old uh, cathedral. You will find right in front, right on the main street there, you will find my artwork. It's still there. You will find six men. Uh, I call them young men. They're in their 40s now. Uh, you'll find six young men that I taught martial arts and mentored. And I still get emails from them telling me how much they miss me, that I was the only father they really ever had. <laughs> I didn't do much, you know, but I just, I tried to mentor them, right? Mm. And um, you'll find uh, half a dozen homeless people that have been over to my house for dinner. So that's my legacy from my living in Ventura. There's beauty there. There's art. There are people whose lives I've helped to improve. And everywhere I go, I try to do the same thing, you know, Bring some beauty, bring some humanity, a little bit of charity, and and it's not to to you know to virtue signal. I actually enjoy helping people. I don't know why. Something wrong with that. There must be something wrong with you because everybody thinks it's it's a sort of false front. You know, if you try to be a good person, people think you're being phony or you, you you've got some ulterior purpose. Well, that probably happens a lot, but it doesn't happen with me. I enjoy helping people. I enjoy community. I enjoy happiness and 
playing music together and sitting by the beach and talking and going for bicycle rides up in the mountain. And I like that kind of stuff. Uh, but, you know, part of the, the poison of our demoralization is that that kind of behavior is now viewed with suspicion and ridicule, right? Oh, you're a nice guy. Oh, what's wrong with you? You know, you're just being naive. No, I'm not naive. I know a lot of people. I know humanity perfectly well enough. And I know most people are scoundrels. That doesn't stop me from trying to do good in the world. So, you know, that's my religion. I don't have any other religion. I just feel that, you know, you've been given this gift of life on this planet. And then what happens if you die? Personally, I hope nothing happens. I hope it's over. No memories, nothing like that. I don't want to be some ghost floating around in heaven looking down on earth. That wouldn't be fun at all. Where, you know, where, 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 where do I get a drink up here? Um, <laughs> but let's say what I think probably happens is that you go in front of the things, the, the power that created you, and they said, we gave you this gift. Now, what did you do with it? Thank you. Exactly. If your life was a book, would it be worth reading? Exactly. Did you, did you touch anybody? Who did you help? Who did you, th mm. you know, you're going to be, you're, you're worth, did you keep it all for yourself? Did you self-reflect all day? Did you navel gaze or did you actually interact, you know? Yeah. Because building this, this place that we all find ourselves in stronger should be the whole objective. And if you don't have to believe in a God or a creator or whatever, but let's say we were sent here and the vaccines make us forget what we're here for, that everybody's always looking for their purpose. You already know your purpose. Your purpose is to protect the innocent and, 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 and live in love. And that's it. That's it. You know, you don't have to learn how to build a rocket ship to the moon. That's all superfluous stuff. It's how you treat other people yeah. and how you show other people how to, how to live in, in, in that, in that love and in that, in that empathy and that compassion your only compass that you need is compassion, right? You can find your way yeah. through anything with that. And that was yeah. so beautifully said because religion <clears throat> in itself can be so divisive. I mean, how many wars, yeah. how many, how many yeah. lives have been taken because of religion? But if people would just acknowledge there is a creator and just appreciate everything <laughs> and, and the most common rule, just do unto others as they would do unto you and go about yeah. life, this would be such a better life. But to think, well, if you don't accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you're just going to go to hell and burn. <clears throat> because, right, the the side, like, yeah, yeah. because the guy on the other side of the world was taught something different. No, it's just be a good person, take care of people. And exactly, I mean, what you said just melted my heart, how you take in homeless people. It's the book that's written about you. When your life is over, when you die, no matter when it is, and that becomes a book, does are you a good person? Did you make a difference? Did you go out of your way? Did you drive past the person who was struggling on the side of the road? Did you ignore them? Or did you stop and say, can I help you? I mean, those are the smallest things that we forget about as a society. These yeah. days, if you stop and say, can I help you, have your hand on your trigger, just in case. Just in case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True. Yeah. <laughs> True. You might feel like a jerk afterward, but at least you, you knew you would protect yourself first. Yeah, you do. But at the, at the end of the day, it, you're exactly right. What, what did you do for society? Did you make a difference? And uh, yeah. what, the biggest thing I tell my children, and they range from 32 all the way down to 11, when you're gone and they say your name, when they say George Hobbs, do they say that guy only cared about himself? He was a selfish asshole? 
or, you know, he was so nice and he taught me how to fish. Uh, he taught me how to hunt and he, and he always asked me, how was I doing? And people don't understand if you look at somebody and say, how are you doing? People are really going through (laughs) rough times right now with the separation of society and closing people off. There's a lot of lonely people right now. A simple smile and how are you doing could literally save somebody's life right now. Yeah. Absolutely. That was that was beautiful, George. That was beautiful. And, yeah. Uh, Made me think of my dad in the, in the middle of that. <laughs> me too. I miss my dad. We just uh, – his. Uh, it would have been his 77th birthday a couple of, uh, weeks ago, two weeks ago. And, uh, you know, my daughters chide me. They, they say I'm becoming a hippie in my old age. And I used to be the <laughs> old-school conservative uh, Reagan, blah, blah, blah. I was so blind back in the day. And now I've become older – I care. So but I for the even... right reason, you know, you can't be too hard on yourself because you were you were blind for the right reasons because you believed in the virtues that they presented. I know. So you still believe in those virtues. Just their story is wrong. That's but, all. But what now they going such the other way, yeah. I was building a yeah. fence for the for my chickens and my goats the other day, and there was a we call them Daddy Longlegs. You know, those big spiders. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. back in the day, I'd be like, kill them. And I'm like, come on, guy, hop off. And, and my daughter's like, you're such a hippie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I'm the same way, George. I'm the same way. I'm always catching moths in the house, and I, I pick yes. them up, and I walk them out the door, you know. Yeah. Even spiders, you know, I go, okay, spider. Actually, the ones here, I, I just leave them alone because we've got so many goddamn house flies, and they bite. So I leave the spiders alone. Eat the goddamn flies. You, you know, get busy. Yeah. Right. But listen, guys. Um, absolutely. Can we start to wind it down? Cause, uh, yeah, absolutely. yeah, absolutely. Let's do that. Can I? Yeah. No. Go ahead. I was just yeah, going to say, uh, first of all, uh, Stefan, it was a pleasure to meet you. I heard you. I've actually listened to a show you were on a month or two ago. I think you were on Giuseppe on Revolution Radio, which I have a show there. And I went to your website and I was just blown away by your knowledge. So I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to actually have a conversation with you. And then Daniel, I've known no for. Problem. I'm sorry. No problem. Yeah, Daniel was the one that uh, set this all up, so you can thank Daniel for this. And I will. And Daniel is the most selfless person that I've known, and I've never met him in person. We've we've talked and emailed. Uh, Daniel, am I allowed to talk about your products? Yeah, please. I mean, oh, okay. it's no, we're, at, I, we're at the end of civilization. I don't really know if I need to have two separate lives okay. anymore. I'm, so, I'm okay with people knowing that I have a hot sauce business now. It's I fine. met him on his YouTube channel, and I started messaging him, and, and then I found that he owned a hot sauce business. And my wife loves hot sauce. So his website is SemperFryLLC.com. And we ordered some different ones. And he has a hot sauce called When Pigs Fly. Now, in the house, anytime we have chicken, if When Pigs Fly is not on the table, I will get reamed out by my wife. Uh, she good. swears by When Pigs Fly. And we love your hot sauce. And uh, I... I urge everybody to go to Semper Fry. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Stefan's got some too. So please. Oh yeah, I, I got. And then I got also the uh, the sampler pack. This is great. Yeah, Rebecca yes, put that I all together that too. She's she's a good yeah. person. I like the butter. What's it called? Butter. Butter. Believe it. Yeah. It's butter. Like believe a it. Wing sauce. Yeah. yeah. That's if you like. Uh, it's kind of similar to a Buffalo Wild Wings, but it's way better. Way better. It's got a little more kick, and it's got. Flavor because some hot sauces they're just hot and they're 
juice is really hot. I oh like that. Oh, my God. So yeah. please go to Semper Fry. Yeah, as a Dutchman, we eat a lot of Indonesian food. Yeah, I remember you saying that. Yeah, and Indonesian food is really spicy. Yes, I can never find it spicy in Canada. I've tried all the sauces up here. I went, and when I go to order Chinese, I say, make it extra hot. They go, oh, you want hot? I said, yeah, no, as hot as you can make it. <laughs> oh, you sure you want hot? No, I want it double hotter than you think you can make it. Nuclear. Now I was in, I'm going like, oh my god, this is hot. This is this is nothing. Oh my god. So, but this now, now this kicks ass. So I like it. That's awesome. Great. That's so good. So please go yeah, to semperfryllc.com. Get yourself some hot sauce, and then yep. Please go to chinastrategies.com. I mean, you talk about bang for your buck. You you can't ask for anything less. The knowledge and everything you get for the price is unrivaled. So please. Uh, small price to pay for the knowledge you all received tonight without being too forward. Thank you, George. Checks in the mail. All right. Appreciate that. Cha-ching! <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, we could... Uh, there, there, there's just too much to talk about in, in, one, in one broadcast ever. And, yeah, well, uh, let's do this again sometime because I, I got to yeah. get going. I, 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 Absolutely. Absolutely, sir. I've really not speak hours today. I'm so sick of hearing myself speak. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, I don't like looking at myself the whole time. It's it's like, I should, you know, neither. it's like, uh, I'm looking at the mirror. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I keep going, who's that old guy? Jesus. <laughs> okay, guys. Well, listen, it was great talking to you. You're both a, a really great guys. And, um, Keep up the good work, and um, again, save yourself, save your families, do what you can for others that want to be saved, and the ones that don't want to be saved, just cut them loose. You know, we're this. This is a lifeboat situation right now, and if there's no use to you, you can't put them in your lifeboat. You can't. You can't look after people that can't look after themselves at this point. Do your best. I try. You know, I I still have a, a soft spot for people. But I can't save everybody, and neither can you guys. So look after your families, number one priority. Look after yourselves, because when this all ends, it'll be up to you guys to rebuild. Right. Yes, sir. Let's hope there's some wise elders out there like yourself that can teach them the way so that they build something that's sustainable and lasts a little bit longer. Yeah. yeah. And with that being said, okay. there's nothing wrong with the road tech. Yeah, yeah. Vocational right, is very important. Plumbing, carpentry, yeah. all that, very important. We'll need to read. Oh, yeah. yeah. Good night, guys. Thank Good night. You so Thank much you all so here. much. Okay. Bye bye. Good night, everyone. Good night. Bye. Later. All right, guys. Uh, it, since are you still here? Do you want to uh, kind of give a last uh, thoughts on uh, tonight for the podcast? Oh man, I don't. <laughs> That would be another podcast in and of itself. I, I know. I gained a lot from that. It's first of all, for him to just agree to that was not expected. And I was uh had been listening to everything that he's put out all the way up to I I scoured YouTube to find everything I could, you know, and then it's just amazing to actually talk to him. You know, it's it's a little bit of a fanboy thing, but it's because he has what we're looking for. He has the knowledge, he's a nice gentleman. Would I would like to end up being in my life, you know? So, yeah, it's a it's a wonderful thing to have him here to 
just have a chat with the guys, you know? Yeah, he's very down to earth and he's very smart. And I hope people will take his wisdom and run with it because we are, there's still a lot of people who think this is all just going to go away. And those are the people who are going to struggle here in the next few months, I believe. I think this fall is going to be, I don't want to say end game at this point because nobody knows. I mean, but uh, I, I think they're running with it and uh, we're right. closer to end game than not, if you will. George, let me ask you this real quick. I don't want this to break into a super long convo, um, but, you know, they keep on bringing up, well, there are just so many more of us than there are of them. And they keep saying that over and over again. And don't you think that this whole vaccine thing is kind of fixing that? And I don't mean because they're going to be killing people off. I'm saying because if you lose your empathy, you lose your understanding of what right and wrong. Now those ratios aren't so imbalanced now because those people who might have been able to say, I don't want this to happen to my family now are indifferent to it. Or the power of suggestion alone makes them rotten, evil people now. So now they have more on their side. It's like they're building their army every time they, they administer a test or shoot a vein or shoot a muscle, I guess, with, this, with the shots. Right. It's like they're building their, their, their army of darkness right in front of us. And it's just a matter of time before it activates. I mean, maybe I'm being silly in here, but it seems like all that all that talk about them, there's more of us than there are of them. It seems like it's, uh, yeah, first of all, yeah, they have all the guns, though, because we made it that way. We yeah. gave them military. We, we, we supported all that. You know, we don't have tanks in our backyard. I don't have an airplane. You know, what am I going to do? Yeah. I think Biden said so. Biden he said he I sure did. I he said, airplane. oh, what are you guys going to do against my Blackhawks, <laughs> against my Apaches, against... Right. That, and, if that wasn't a throwing of the gauntlet onto the table, I don't know what was. Right. He legitimately challenged uh, the men and women of America. Like, you're, you're, keep your M4s. You know, keep your uh, five, five, six rounds. I've got Apache helicopters that'll take you out. Right. But, yeah, it, it's definitely... Um, man... It's time for people to accept responsibility. Uh, I firmly believe, and I said this to my audience on the radio the other day, if God didn't think that you could handle what's coming, he would have not put you here. Uh, And I have friends that uh, over the last two weeks, emails from listeners, friends, longtime acquaintances that are really struggling right now. Maybe they have uh, wives or spouses that are in jobs that are put in positions. If you don't get the jab, you're going to get fired. Listen, everybody has a choice and everybody has their own path. Understand two things. Number one, if you don't have physical autonomy, you have nothing. If you allow somebody to tell you what goes inside your body, then you don't have any level of freedom. You're not pop. You are you're literally like property. You are property if you don't have the choice there. Exactly. No one gets to tell you that. Right. And listen, the Bible. Whether you're religious or not, I believe the the Bible has a lot of these codes in there, and it talks about how the the bad people would be praised and the good people would be. You know, I know I'm talking out of context here, but I'm just no paraphrasing is fine. Yeah, yeah paraphrasing. I, get, I know what you're saying. And, and yeah. you look at the world right now: evil people are being praised, and the good people are being put down. Um, at the end of the day, it, you live your own life; you take your own path. And there's going to come a day when you have to make some tough choices. And people, I've been getting inundated with emails and text messages from longtime friends saying, I don't have a choice. And I just retort with, you're wrong. You do. You do have a choice. Are you that unresourceful that you couldn't figure out a way to make your, you know, make ends meet 
if you didn't have this specific job, like what about a private contractor or what about whatever, you know, whatever, what are your skills? What, can you bring them somewhere else? Granted, it sucks. It's very uncomfortable. Precisely. But people are way too, way too, um, like, why is everybody so afraid of it? Like, I'm not even talking about that, but like even the slightest discomfort, like, why do you need a chicken pox vaccine? Like, you know, what, the slightest discomfort people are, are trying to try to avoid. And it's through conditioning, I guess, because when you actually face things, they're not as bad as they seem. You know, you go through it, you get it over it, you move on to the next thing. I'm not saying that this Farmageddon that we're in is going to be something that's just not that big of a deal. What I'm saying is the discomfort of finding another job so that you don't get killed should be a priority if that's the only situation that you're in right now. If you have to have a, a job to f- support a family, you got to have made contacts or network or somebody who knows what you do and likes what you do and can find you a spot wherever they are wherever they work to get you away from the, 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 the poop shoot. I mean, you would hope, you know, not having a choice doesn't, it doesn't fly though. That doesn't, that doesn't compute. No, it doesn't. And the same people are saying we're that. We're not there yet. No, we're yeah. not there yet. It'll, it'll probably come in the near future, but the same people saying that, uh, you look at their budget, they've got their Netflix, they've got their uh, cable TV, which by the way, when I got rid of cable TV, I mean, most of your problems go away when you get rid of cable TV. It's called tell a vision and that programs you uh, don't fall for that stuff. The television is the CIA's most uh, profitable piece of propaganda in the entire world. I mean, get, hypnosis get of- is, is hypno- hypnotic and so is repetition. And yeah. That's all and, you get from television. And when Stefan was talking about LSD and the other things, that's just a small arm of the CIA. Oh, absolutely. Everything amongst the media, um, it's all prepared by the CIA outside of, you know, John Smith down the road, got killed in an accident, your local weather, everything else is propagated. It sounds like he was talking about the cybernetics experiments that happened before MK ultra too. I yes. think that was the, the, the time frame where that happened. That was with the, like the Rockefellers and the Macy's. Yep. And, uh, they were doing the cybernetics. So that was like the precursor of the MK ultra, yep. uh, truth stream media. I, they, they did a big, long video like a two-hour video on that <sighs> truth stream media i'm writing that down i have so many notes from today i learned so much tonight it's amazing it was great and the one thing i forgot to touch on it uh there was a couple things i guess i want to clean up real quick was uh he mentioned bill cooper uh if anybody out there i urge them to listen to and you can find it on youtube just put the search box in youtube june 26 2001 bill cooper and that was the day that CNN found Osama bin Laden and interviewed him in the cave when the strongest military in the world couldn't find him and the CIA couldn't find him. And that very night, Bill Cooper said, we're going to get attacked. Anderson Cooper, right? Don't you mean? Was, was it Anderson Bill Cooper, Cooper back real? then? Well, and are you talking about Bill Cooper like Behold a Pale Horse? Yes, Bill Cooper on about- June 26, 2001. Really? The, the same day that CNN broadcast the interview with uh, oh my God. Osama Bin Laden. He came on the air that night and said, folks, we're going to get attacked. He said, you're telling me that the United States Army, the United States CIA, couldn't find this guy in a cave in Afghanistan, but CNN could? He said, we're getting attacked. So if you go to YouTube you. tonight and just put in... June 26, 2001, Bill Cooper, you'll hear his broadcast six okay. weeks before 9-11 telling us we were going to get attacked. He called it that night. Yeah, he didn't survive too much longer after that either, did he? No, he sure didn't. He got taken out by, I think, a local sheriff's office. He got yeah. shot. 
protecting his own land. They were, they were. I think they came there plain closed. Sure did. And they suddenly started a fire or something like that on his property, like like they were like hooligans. Yeah. And then he re- wasn't he running back to his house when he got shot in the back. Yes, he was. He was taken out. Hundred percent. You seen the pictures of his daughters? That no. fucking kills me when I look at that. <sighs> They're beautiful, beautiful little kids, and their dad was taken from them. That's that's how evil this is, guys. Like they don't give a shit. No. You can do everything you can to be the greatest parent on the planet. When you're out of the picture and they're sent through hell, that's that's why you got to come back from the dead. If if it takes that to do it to stop them from whatever happens, yeah, I'm sure they're not. I'm sure they they didn't live the life they could have lived if their dad was still around. No, he's saying that. No, and it's infuriating. And the other biggest thing when you're talking about Israel and how they all stick together. Uh, the United States, uh, we fall for the divide and conquer, right? Because people watch the TV, and that's what the TV is for, right? You're on the left, you're on the right. Uh, mm-hmm. You're de- Democrat, Republican. You're Redskins fans, you're a Cowboys fan. They divide us all day long. Israel, they're all, they don't have immigration like we do. They, they're all a very tight-knit community. So when you talk about, or when um, Stefan was talking about how Israel sticks together, and he says we've been trying to get the people in North America to stick together. That'll just never happen because they know they can divide and conquer us. Just look at over that last 18 months with BLM, Antifa, uh, George Floyd. They know what things to put on the TV to keep us apart because as long as we're fighting amongst each other, we won't look at the real problem, and that's the problem at the top. You know it's at the end game, too, when you can see because of how ridiculously paper thin these these strategies are like they're not playing to us they're playing to the lowest common denominator yeah. like the whole george floyd thing i mean that that every, just everything about that the, the the blind rage for no reason kill thy neighbor type of mentality let's go loot because reasons no particular reasons just reasons because the haves and the have nots were were envious and envy is a beautiful tool for destruction it's not you shouldn't try to make something of yourself you should just take from somebody else who puts forth all the effort um that's it's a that's a demoralization thing and why would you and and to take away from somebody who's providing for their family is if so what so that you can have it what what makes your what why is your claim higher than the person that that worked for it hey government looking right at you when it comes to taxes when i said that too what how is your claim higher than the person who put forth the effort precisely it, they're not trying to convince us that George Floyd was a thing or that Oklahoma City bomb. Either they're not. They're not trying to, co- to convince. Back then, when it was like Ruby Ridge, Waco, they're they're trying to tell everybody that this is the way it went down. This guy was a pedophile. He's hurting kids. We gotta we gotta burn them all to death now because you don't want them to live past that, right? Now they're not doing that. Now they're picking the you know the 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 stomped on part of the society that that they're being stomped on by their government. But they don't realize they're in such Stockholm syndrome that they're being empowered and and weaponized to take down those who hold everything together with the glue, and they're 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 peeling it off right now. You know who who produces and who works and who creates the economy? Those are the ones they're attacking right now because they want it all to fall. Yeah, and that's the scariest thing when you have the media at your beck and call. They can make any person look like the bad guy. No matter how so innocent easy. or how good of a wholesome person you may be, they can make you look like a bad guy, take you out, and nobody will bat an eye 
or, or think twice worrying about you. You should check out Stefan's. Um, uh, he his first paragraph, uh, his first uh, chapter of the art of urban survival is how to how to defend against a psychopath. And uh, it's actually he's made a video where he just reads it. And uh, the one part he's saying is like, if I wanted to get rid of somebody, you know, the reason why psychopaths when it comes to a power structure, a pyramid structure, they're always going to make it to the top is because they're the type of guy who in the middle of a, you know, a corporate atmosphere, they'll put a, they'll put a gram of cocaine in your desk and throw child pornography on your, on your computer and have you eliminated so that they can move up. You know, they'll, they'll blackmail you. Their, their tactics are without, you know, they're irreprehensible. Is that how you say it? They they have absolutely no conscience to it. So they'll, they'll just do whatever it takes to get to where they want to be. And it doesn't matter what they destroy in the path, you know? And, and that's what I was asking, Stefan, when the enemy has control of the finances, control of the media, control of the military, how do you overcome those odds? Yeah. yeah <laughs> I mean, they got all the guns. The only way to fix that is to have their manpower say, we're not going to hurt. But that's then they just replace that manpower Okay, fine. You guys go sit over there. We're going to go put your uniforms on the UN troops and we're moving them in and they'll take care of business for us. Yeah. They're still going to look like the military. They're not going to look, we're not going to show our hand and show that they're the UN. But, you know, now that we have foreigners that don't give a shit about America in the same outfits, now they're going to take care of business. You guys, you guys don't want to, you guys want to, uh, fine, go. We'll yeah. take care of you later. Even if you we know? had a Tiananmen Square type of event here in America, would the Mockingbird media? Mockingbird control media even show it on TV to inspire uh, our fellow countrymen. No, and not unless there was a different angle that they were playing. Right, if they wanted to spark more of that so that they could create martial law or whatever. You know, it's it's all everything. Everything's a trap. So it doesn't. It's you step one way, you step the other way. There's the traps on both sides. So it doesn't really. You know, it's sad that you get to the point where you have to start thinking about this. It's like, okay, well, what's the angle? You know. And and that's 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 that cynicism that you got to. When it comes to media, you got to always have it. But when it comes to like other people, it sucks that you have to be skeptical of a kind person who opens the door for you. That's you know what I mean. Like Stefan was saying, like you're looked at like you're a weirdo or that you're a male chauvinist because you're holding a door for an old lady. It's like when did this change? You know. But I don't know. I, it's it sucks because it's it's conditioned into us through the the tv and how everything is like i don't want to be that guy who goes against all this nonsense and have myself be canceled and all this other stuff so i'm just going to play along you know and then you just you let it happen you let it happen you sit back you're trying to protect yourself and you let it happen and then one day you wake up and you can't stop it now because you let it go too long yeah precisely 150 years later you know yeah, exactly. Uh, and today, another one of those things that just, with everything else going on, went right under the radar. The, the United States Congress passed that women, females at the age of 18 will have to register for the draft. That happened today. And you won't see it anywhere in the news. Wow. So your daughters, when they turn 18, they have to register for the draft. Another step. That's eugenics. That's what it is. They're taking out exactly. the child bears. That's what they're doing. I'm sure they'll be, yeah, put in specific positions to get blown away, too. Yeah. I'll tell you one thing. My daughter will not ever fight in a war like a Vietnam or an Iraq or an Afghanistan over my dead body. Sorry. You saw actual combat, right? Like you were... Yes, sir. ...in the real stuff, right? 
someday that would be a, I mean, I don't know if you talk about that on your radio program or not, but I'm sure there's uh I mean, if it's too hard to talk about, I can understand that too, but that would be something that I'm sure would maybe benefit other veterans out there. Yeah. So they don't feel as alone. But I mean, if you have to li- relive a hell of yourself, then don't do it because that's not the way to, to heal. No. You know? Um, and, and I'll be honest with you, uh, over the last 10 days, two weeks with, <clears throat> This Afghanistan stuff kicking off. I've had a little bit of a relapse with my PTSD, um, with it being in the forefront. Um, I've learned since I've retired in 2015 how to kind of tuck some of those things away. But over the last two weeks, um, I had a very dear friend of mine, Command Sergeant Major Timothy Boyer, was killed in Afghanistan in September uh, 2018. And uh, it's been a tough couple weeks with me and my friends. But this Sunday, this past Sunday... Uh, myself and three of my buddies who I served with in Iraq, we, we just FaceTime together Sunday morning and just talking. Don't keep that stuff bottled up. Um, I'm not a psychiatrist, um, but just talk. And we all talked for an hour and, uh, it was a little emotional, but just talking to each other really helped. Um, you know, these are really difficult times, but, uh, I'm sorry, man. No, man. no, it's it, uh, they take they take things from you that they break things that can't be put back together. I they mean, do, and, and a story I tell a little bit is um, I did four tours in Iraq, and uh, the first tour again I was still blind. I was all for the cause, and everything we did on the first tour, we lived in a very austere environment, so everything you did was to survive. We only got so much water per day, so much food for a day. You need to learn how to build piss tubes and how to burn shit. I mean, things that people can't really comprehend the average Joe to survive. Um, But by the third tour, we started realizing, what are we doing here? We're in Iraq. I mean, there's no weapons of mass destruction. We've destroyed these people's government. Um, We had Operation Swarmer and... uh, at the time, I didn't realize, but the, the CIA had created another boogeyman, and we had a mission f- to capture this scientist who was uh, running chemical warfare. And I was walking, like, you can look at Platoon. I mean, legitimately, I had my weapon. We were walking through a small village in the middle of nowhere, and uh, this old lady just came up to me with a small goat and she tried to give me her goat. That's, I mean, (laughs) and I didn't understand why she was giving it to me. And then she grabbed my arm and and we walked into her little building off to the side of her house. And her father was laying there breathing his last breath. He was blowing these blood bubbles and she was asking for help. So I got the medic and I mean, he was gone, but it struck me then, what were we doing in this country? I mean, we destroyed their government. We're, we're walking around looking at this boogeyman that obviously didn't exist, which we all found out. And some of my uh, fellow guys in Charlie 29 Cav from Fort Carson, Colorado, uh, they almost got killed in a hard landing from a helicopter. The whole thing, it's all fiction. Everything... <sighs> I was in Desert Storm. Just look at uh, the young lady who spoke in front of Congress in 1991, and she lied about being in Kuwait City and seeing the Iraqi soldiers throwing babies 
onto the ground in the hospital. Is it's, that anything it, new? I mean, what they they were they were hitting them with bayonets in the in the Germans. Remember, they were they were pinning babies to the wall with, yeah. with bayonets. And it turned out that uh, she was the Iraq, the uh, Kuwaiti ambassador's daughter, and that this group out of California paid ten million dollars to coach her up to speak in front of Congress so we could get involved in Desert Storm. They didn't pretty have good acting gig. Yeah, they didn't have mass. They didn't have weapons of mass destruction in two thousand three. And it's just, it, it, I went to my sergeant major, my third tour. I said, sergeant major. And I was very weak at that point. I'd been away from my family. Uh, I deployed uh, March 2003 to March 2004. Then I left uh, November 2005 to November 2006. And then I left November 2007. And I didn't come home till February 2009. I was gone for 15 months that third tour wow. 15 months i missed two fucking thanksgivings two fucking christmases and i after kids were younger then too that's those are those are big times for yeah your family, i said to my know? sergeant major i said what are we doing here there's no weapons of mass destruction i mean these people can barely keep their vehicles running and you're telling me they have weapons of mass destructions and he looked at me in the eye and said sergeant hobbs you're defending the constitution and that always stuck with me. And it amplifies itself more today where we don't have a First Amendment because we're people like you and I are kicked off social media left and right. And it's obvious right. we don't have the right to religion because last year, how many churches got shut down because of a bad flu season? <laughs> yeah. And the Second Amendment's coming. Uh, I, I was very strong yesterday on my radio show. Um. Are they talking about a national registry to, to kick things off? I believe, and this is just me from what I've read. How many? There's been two Catholic presidents, John F. Kennedy and Joe Biden. Oh, I mean, you might as well just call them Jesuits if you're going to call them Catholics. Yeah, but you know yeah. what they like to do with them? Um, uh, people need to go listen to Gerald Ford's 1989 speech at a school. A young lady stood up and said, President Ford, will there ever be a female president? And, and Gerald Ford, 1989, says, well, here's what's going to happen. Uh, a president, a man president is going to get elected with a female vice president. But that president is going to die. And the female president will become president. It was so odd how he said it. He didn't say like, well, the female president... You know, it'll be a vice president and something will happen and she'll become. He specifically said that president will die. So a lot of people are hypothesizing. He had a little bit of guilt on his conscience if he's telling the secrets of the brotherhood. Exactly. And I I tweeted it out today. So if you're on Twitter, hit me up at the fact hunter and you'll see the tweet. And it's a two minute tweet. Um, but he specifically said basically what you're saying. So I think what their end game is. They're going to, it'll be a false flag. It'll be a quote unquote Trump supporter, a far right guy is going to assassinate. Oh, yeah. That way the, they can lock us all down and take us all, all our guns. Yeah. There you go. So it'll get rid of Biden. It'll put her in charge and they will get rid of the guns. And when that's done, enter China. Okay. Let me ask you a question. That thing that um, we were talking about earlier with the Inovio, uh, did you watch that, that little seven minute? You saw, you did, right? I watched it I several mean, times. Um. I, Richie from Boston, I, I don't know what to make of him. I don't know if he's what he, what, what his allegiance is. I'm not trying to make that kind of discernment, but what he's showing is actually what's out there in that particular video. 
And do you think that what you just mentioned is going to be that event? Or do you think there's going to be a different event that has more to do with, you know, making the vaccines, you know, there's no question the whole, the whole entire crazy demented world of wackajoos are going to make it so that you, you know, they're going to get all the support to, to, to press us with that, to force it into us or, or they're just going to sneak it in, sneak it in our food or sneak it in some other way. I mean, are you frozen? That's very interesting. Um, because I don't know if Biden would be the thing that make vaccines happen. I can see it happening with the guns because, oh, somebody got shot again, you know, and it was the president. But I don't know if I would, uh, I, I, I think there might be another event if that, if that's the case. And would they be as silly as to do it on the 11th? No. Or do you think they're just, I don't think they'll be that silly. It might already be in the works. It might already be happening somewhere, but we don't see. But I don't see it happening exactly on that day, even though it's the 20th anniversary and all that stuff. That it's The Jesuit theater would be a really bad, badly written, even though it is pretty poorly written as it is because they just reuse the same material all the time. But that particular thing I don't think would happen directly on the 11th. You well, know, it, it just... I've done a lot of research over the last 24 hours since you sent me that video. Um, and here's the thing. I think it would be too obvious if they did it on 9-11. But what if they did it on 11-11? Because what's November 11th? I don't know what November 11th is. It's Veterans Day. Oh, okay. Oh, all right. There you go. Or even just do the the inversion at 11-9, the, the ninth day. Oh, yeah, there you month. go. They could do it uh, yeah. November 9th. Great call because they love doing everything in reverse. The... Yeah, the doctrine of inversion, right? That's when yeah. you know the circle's complete. There's not going to be enough people left to say, hey, that's not doesn't make sense. It's all locked down. That's correct. It's all about the ritual, right? And then once the guns are gone, I mean, just look what's going on in in uh, down in Australia right now. God damn. Yeah, we didn't even touch that subject. My God. Yeah. It's and, already happened. Like, watch it because everything that happened in the last lockdown made its way here to some degree. Now they lost their guns a long time ago, but it seems like they're already working on that solution already. So my God, if that happens here, the thing, the thing is people have said this, even the beginning, if you let them lock you down a second time, there'll be no coming out before there was ever a lockdown or the coronavirus season happening. I was saying feast or planned famine coming our way. That was one of my videos. You know, and then when they started talking about coronavirus, I was like, here comes Farmageddon. Everybody get ready. You know, it's like, it's not because I'm smart. It's because I've read a bunch of stuff already. And I was the last three or four years, you know, when my daughter was born and was about to be born, uh, that's kind of like what got me starting to read a bunch of different stuff to make sure that she was protected. And that kind of led to other things. And then I started the things that seemed too fringy for me to, I didn't seem so fringy anymore because I already realized after watch, after reading Eustace Mullen's book, there's a lot of bullshit out there, you know, and it's pretty well ingrained in our society that these people just operate under fraud, constant fraud all the time. Let me just read a different history book and see if there's anything more and more to it, more to that story. Good God, man, you could you could spend a, a million lifetimes and never know all the details of what they lied about. You know, it, it just it's it boggles your mind, and it's like, what? Why are we even? following an abrahamic religion we're not even from that part of the world exactly. you know it's like it doesn't make any sense well how am i in, in endeared to this guy who was a canaanite god really if you really want to boil it down you know and you know why is the savior supposedly part of this you know 
cannibalistic sacrificial ritual that we have to drink and eat his blood. You know, it's like, what is this? What yeah. this is? This is all cult of ball stuff and symbolism and symbol symbology or symbolism. Isn't it funny how we have religion that we know takes place in the Middle East, but we know about more about. <laughs> You know, we're smarter than the people that live in the Middle East. We know more about right, it. Right, 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 right. And, and then you're spot on with, uh, you're obviously talking about communion, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's something that, that always, but there's two things that always bothered me, even as a youngster. Number one was communion, when the, the pastor is giving you a piece of bread that says, this is my body, and you're eating it. This is my blood, and you're drinking it. It's trauma. It's yeah. trauma. Yeah. And the other thing that was insane to me, and this goes under the radar for most people, yeah, I was in a Methodist church, and we had something called the Apostles' Creed. And in the Apostles' Creed, you say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints. Whoa. Protestants is protesting Catholicism, and you're saying, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. How is this not yeah. ringing a bell with you? Bet you they were a member of the National Council of Churches. Exactly, those they people were. Precisely. Subverted everything. Yeah. Yep. And then. What was once Protestant is no longer Protestant, which was once Lutheran is no longer Lutheran. Exactly. It's the Unichurch. Mm hmm. I mean, the they still operate under the same names, but they've been infiltrated mostly. And one of the things I need to have you on my podcast one of these days is your knowledge of the Franks and uh, the gentleman who uh, translated the King James Bible. Oh, yeah. Uh, possibly Francis Bacon. Yeah, that's the word on the street. Yeah. Yeah, he was a Rosicrucian, I believe, wasn't yes. he? The, yeah. So, I mean, we don't know what, what their what their end game is. And it's funny because there's still that, that divide where people think that the Freemasonic Order, they were infiltrated, but some of them are good. Okay, well, if it's all based off the Kabbalah, and I've seen some horrific things about the Lurian Kabbalah, which is different than the regular Kabbalah, I get it. But the Lurian Kabbalah, Isaac Luria, who created that, he's the he was he's the one that like basically promoted Sabbatai Zevi. Sabbatai Zevi took the ball and ran with it, and basically said he was the Messiah. And then you got Jacob Frank, whose parents were both Sabbateans, and then the you know Jacob Frank was the guy who said doctrine of inversion. Never show your true self in public. You know, the, the redemption through sin, we have to make it stink so badly that God comes back to and says, what the hell? Destroyed the divine spark in all of creation. That's how we fix it. Because we don't, we're not supposed to have it here. It's supposed to go back to Yahweh. So Yahweh is the demiurge then. He's not a god. And there's actually a really interesting uh, twilight zone called Little People. And these guys crash land on a on a planet they think is desolate, and then they hear these little tiny voices, and they find this little tiny town. And this guy is like a giant, right? The whole giant theory. Mm -hmm. And he starts acting like a god. He starts getting off on it, right? And they he has them erect a statue of his likeness. But think about it: both of them are in space outfits, right? So they both look the same to these little people. One is apologizing for the other one's actions. But there can be really no distinction as to who is what. So is there a duality of gods in the in the Bible where there's the guy who's the benevolent creator on one side, and then there's like Baal, El, Yahweh kind of all mixed together because they all call him Baal, they all call him Lord, right? Yeah. So it's, it's almost, it almost gives you like credence for the astronaut theory, whereas like somebody who they look the same they, and they were of high technology came here one day, screwed up everybody's minds, took off. 
And then, you know, here we are trying to, trying to, trying to make sense of it all. It, it's just, it could be anything, but I just found that that's that Twilight Zone episode very interesting because it makes me think that they're, they're projecting the, the Yahweh character and that guy who just, you know, becomes a megalomaniac or whatever you call it, you know? Wow. That's a great point. And there is some interesting sixties TV series, uh, the 33rd episode of the original Batman series with Adam West uh-huh. uh, referred to the Skull and Bones. They they actually <laughs> they no talked way. about the Skull and Bones in that episode. Um, I can't so, believe he passed away already. He seemed like he was young. Yeah, yeah, he did. But uh, yeah, there's... Uh, yeah, and then the Book of Enoch, is that something, again, that they use to distract us, or is that something that is legit with the Nephilim and everything else? Yeah, and it's funny because I guess the Old Testament of Ethiopia mm-hmm. never had that as an apocrypha, or it was always part of their Bible. Yep. Yeah. So you legitimately don't know. And if there is a true creator, um, do you think he really— You know, I like stories, too. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. I was just going to say, if there's a really a creator, do you really think he's going to punish people because of the way they're taught? Or because of the way right. how, how they acted and treated people. Yeah, and you know what the the biggest story about Nimrod and the and you know the Tower of Babel. I, I take a whole entirely different opinion as to what was going on there. You're not betraying God because you're trying to be better than Him by building this. No, it was everybody was working together as a community because if this asshole floods us again, we don't all want to die. We want to be above the water. That's what the that's what the whole Tower of Babel was about. So Nimrod, the only person that wasn't a Nimrod in the Bible is a guy called Nimrod. You know what I mean? Like he, if if Yahweh was a was a malevolent, malevolent you know, being, mm-hmm. then, and he, and you take it on the fact that he can have temper tantrums and just destroy your entire creation if he feels like it. Well, we're not going to let it happen this time. We're going to protect our people. Is that going against God, or is that just being, a, you know, of the benevolent soul to try to save innocent lives? By creating something that can be bigger above the water, I don't get it. Wow! That's so to a... create, so to create, cha- to create chaos in the language, that's what we're supposed to be cheering on. Give me a break! Wow, that's pretty deep. I've that's never divi- that's of it division, that right? Yeah, isn't that division? Yeah, isn't that what's going on? Are are we babble? You know, it's like I don't know. Wow. The thing is, yeah, it's hard to be far removed from it in the first place to be able to question it because of, dude, I was in Catholic school. I went, I got my communion. I got my confirmation. I have a, you know, my, I took my great grandfather's name for my confirmation name. I'm it's William, you know, I've got all that in my past. And then my mom decided that the Catholic church was weird. So we switched to being Christians and all that stuff makes perfect sense. If it's teaching you morals that you normally wouldn't get somewhere else, because sure. You know, if, if you can't be taught by your parents, well, there's a television set. And if that that doesn't work, well, we can send them off to a school, and we can send them off to uh, to, to Sunday school. That way, we can continue to work our eighty hours a week to provide for our one, you know, single parent, you know, with a kid, you know, type of type of lifestyle. So it's, yeah, I don't know. It's like everything is created so that the family doesn't ever just create reality and rational thought in the household. It's always going to be anxiety, stress, fear, and uncertainty. Lack of confidence, lack of knowing, and 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 hasty minds make hasty decisions. Yep. 
you know, and then if anybody shows you any kind of glint, uh, glint of like, uh, trying to do seek the thing that you're seeking, like, you know, stability, if they're, if they're, if they're even selling it, then, then you're going to be attracted to it and anybody can take advantage of you at that point. Yeah. It took me 50 years to be able to realize it and unplug from the matrix and get rid of my business and, uh, to move out here to the boonies and, um, pull my daughter out of school because most people, I I can't do that. And and the thing is, yes, you can. You don't have to educate your child from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. You can do it at yeah, night. Don't you, don't you hate when there's something that you've done and you know how hard it was for you and then you share your experience and somebody says it can't be done? It's like, you think it was easy for me? You know, yeah. they, they might not know your story, but when you're usually... I don't know you, George, you seem like somebody who only speaks on things that they know about. You don't, it doesn't seem like you, you would speak through the mind of a, of a heroin addict because you've never been a heroin addict. So you would, you wouldn't talk about, and you wouldn't write short fiction novels about being a heroin addict because you're not one. Right. So you wouldn't talk about a topic that you don't know anything about. So if somebody is telling you this, it's like the, the, the short circuited short attention span mentality of like social media, they automatically assume that you're an idiot because they're idiots. Yep. And they don't assume that there's any substance to you. But if I'm telling you something, it's because I have some personal knowledge of what I'm talking about. Otherwise, I wouldn't talk about it. Precisely. Even if it's just something that I read, that I've read a bunch of other stuff and it seems like it checks out, then I'm going to share it. If I'm wrong, then I'm, it's because I haven't read that next book yet. Yep. But it's not because I'm trying to you know, lead you astray. It's because I, I don't think you've read these books, so I'm just trying to help. You know, It's all about building the strength of, of our mankind so that we don't fall to things like this. It's like inherently we do this. We're here right now doing this right now because we know that there's an importance to it. Regardless if anybody's listening to it or not, we tried, you know, and that's otherwise what are we doing? Why Why are we here? Exactly. If what, I, what justifies our existence? If I didn't care, listen, I, I've got my business degree from Texas a and I, I could, with my resume, I could have a job making six figures with no problem on Dover Air Force Base with my logistics but That's awesome. There, there comes a point in where you're in your life where, um, especially, listen, if this COVID stuff never happened, you know, maybe I would have turned my back and still continued on working this that, and the other thing. But when you wake up and when you realize what's going on, we did that on, during nine eleven. We did that during nine eleven because you know, some, I, I it, did. It was already one of those things. It was easier not to. Exactly. I mean, and you were in a different position. You were, you were already in the military at the time, that's, that's a different thing. Yep. But I mean, events like that, where you just know, you know, even if it was just, if it was Waco or Waco happened before that though, but if, just those little things that like, yeah, I don't want to deal with this right now. Yeah. Everybody else is moving this way. I'm just, yeah, I'm moving this way with them. You know, it's like, you don't even know that there's a difference. I was caught up in it. I wasn't, I was all like thinking that George Bush was the greatest guy in the world. I'll yeah. tell you that right now. I was a friggin' idiot. Yep. <laughs> He was rallying the truth. We're going to save America. Yep. In uh, the hell? October 2002. We saved America by, by destroying a, distil- a water distillery plant that, that ended up killing like 500,000 children because they didn't have fresh water. Yep. That's what we what, bombed. We bombed we fucking fresh Libya. water. Destroyed Libya. Um, but yeah, October 2002, Fort Drum, New York. George Bush came to Fort Drum and I was right there and he gave the speech how we were going to take out uh saddam you were there like present you were present in in uh, yes i was room. right there uh we were outdoors it was at the parade wow. field um and let, i want to tell the story one time 
and don't you judge me for it. But uh, the general came around and started picking some people, and I got chosen. So you're going to go over here and shake this, uh, what do you call the the high-ranking people who show up, the elite people, the, uh, I forget the word. Ambassadors? Word. Yeah, it, it was no. a big deal. They didn't say who, yeah. but there, there's some um, uh, big people coming through and need you to shake their hand. And like, Sarn Hobbs, you get mm-hmm. in line over here. So we get nice. in line, and the, the, all the indignitaries, the dignitaries start showing up. And I'm like, oh. Indignitaries, that- I like that. I said, is that Hillary Clinton? Oh, oh, hell no. So I had to go, and I swear to God as my witness, I had to go shake Hillary Clinton's hand. She Was, was she in the th- State Department at that time? She was either the senator of New York or the State Department. It was uh, 2002. I think she might have been the New York yeah. senator. And obviously right. we we're in Fort Drum, New York, so she was there. All right. um, she shook three people in front of me, and then she shook my hand, and then she pretended she had a, a phone call and she walked away and stopped shaking hands. But yeah, George Bush, he, he was standing up she, there. She felt your presence of goodness in her. And made her <laughs> I guess I creeped her out. <laughs> um, but yeah, he stood there and said, we're going to go, you know, where our country's is a crossroads and we need to save these people. And I was, I was a hundred percent bought in just screaming, Oh, let's go kick some ass. And what we really were was just a, a long arm of the elitists um, for the bankers, for the, yep. uh, you know, those who were in the club to make their pockets, uh, their wallets fatter, whether it was Halliburton. Um, and listen, I was logistics. I saw the contracts. It, it was just sickening how much money went on. You know, one thing that really woke me up, we talked about how I was going through that village. One other thing that really woke me up, there's something called TCNs over there, third country nationals, uh, people from Nepal, the Philippines. They were working these tough jobs. Well, anytime we had to retrograde equipment, let's say one of our guys got blown up in IED. What what the civilians don't think about is you have a vehicle that got blown up. You've got uh, maybe a machine gun that got blown up. We have to turn that stuff in because it's on, it's on something called a property book. We have to account for all of our equipment. So when this stuff gets blown up, I have to do all the paperwork and get it turned in and get it taken off. So we're not accounting for it anymore because all this stuff is serial numbered equipment vehicles, right. um, FBCB2s, which are the uh, your GPS in the Humvees. It's all accounted for. So we had this guy from Nepal, and I'm like, uh, so how much do you work? He's like, I work seven 12-hour days. I'm like, holy shit, dude. How much do you make? Oh, I make $500 a month. I'm like, what? A month? A month. Now, listen, to these people who live in the Philippines, in Nepal, that was a great deal of money for them. But Good as an Lord. American, you understand that that's— they could, buy two, they, could, they could build two ghost guns and send them to the States for that amount. Exactly. <laughs> as an American, you realize that's borderline slavery and how much Halliburton was yeah. getting on their contracts and how much they were Good turning God. around and paying these third-world people. It was just—I felt so dirty— after I guess it's subjective, though. Would would one dollar buy them a house there? Then five hundred dollars a month is great. True, you know what I mean. So. Very true. But uh, it, it's the world is uh, an interesting place. It's run by maniacs. It's run by filthy elite people. And like the great George Carlin said, uh, "There's a club at the top, and you ain't part of it." Exactly. Even if you're trying to emulate them by going along with their nonsense and their debauchery. You're you're doing it because of your weaknesses, not because of anything that they need from you. You know, 
you're you're only supporting the red. They they are they are just as disgusted with your existence as they are with everyone else's. A hundred percent. Do you think everybody want? Do you, do you think these elites really want to look at like a? Um, is it okay to say B U L L D I K E <laughs> with with different <laughs> color hair? <laughs> with, you know, uh, fifty pounds overweight and like you know fourteen different colors of hair. Yep. With tattoos and everything all over her face. You know, is that is that their is that their their elite group? Yeah, I don't think not. so. Just so, political right. pawns is all they are. Yeah, that's all they are. And that's t- my latest rabbit hole. You know, I, I do believe in creation. I don't believe in the Big Bang Theory. I believe there is a creator. Um, I do believe there's a, a constant fight between good and evil. And I, I wonder, you know, was whether it's the devil or the Lucifer or Satan, are there two seeds on this planet? Um, you know, people talk about Cain and Abel. Was uh, Abel the good seed? Was Cain actually the, spe- the, the spawn of Satan? Are all these people the... the all the presidents, all the elitists, the monarchy—are they one seed, and are we the other? Does that make? Isn't any- it annoying that we looked alike? Like we couldn't just look a little bit different so we could tell each other apart? Isn't that kind of shitty? Yeah, right. You know, so, yeah, uh, that's kind of, and that—that's that—that brings again into the mind of like archons and parasitic, you know, presence, blood, blood parasites thing like of a material nature that might have something to do with why our spirits are so corrupt in some people yeah. you know it's and like what he was talking about with the with the parasites the virus the um the fungus or whatever it, no matter what it is whatever the parasite is it can control your mind yeah it can make you s- present yourself to something that's going to eat you and it's kind of funny because like, my cousin had told me about a book he read i don't know the name of it but apparently it's it's like one of those you know, Green New Deal type of books in a sense, because it, it and this was decades ago, but it was, it was like uh, the plants were getting mad at, at the corporations for polluting the planet. So they started releasing some kind of, uh, I don't know, gas or whatever that made everybody gay so that there would be no more reproduction. And that's how they got rid of us all. So I thought that was kind of that the plants took over and said that enough's enough, you know, you're, you're destroying the, the, the planet. We're done with you. You you don't you don't need to exist here anymore. You're all gonna go gay. You're gonna die. <laughs> that's similar <laughs> to, to recently. Just uh, what's his name? Uh, Alex Jones. You know the gay frogs, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the old, at, atrazine's a real deal. Yeah, you know they said that that, that confuses your genetic uh, makeup when they give you a shot, but it has a a different sex uh, baby embryo in it, and then all of a sudden you're conflicted. You know. I had a conversation with one of my family members uh, a few months ago, and they think it's an absolute coincidence that uh, when the United States government took the uh, these pharmaceutical companies off the hook for vaccines, that now that one in seven children have some type of learning disability, whether it's autism or something like that, one in seven. And if you look they at think the, that that's a coincidence. Yeah, and, and if you look at the vaccine schedule, how it's gone from like 7 to 24, and you think it's just a coincidence, and God bless you, brother, for, for protecting your child from those monstrous judge. Uh, just uh, kudos to you, man. Thank you. It's, what are you going to do? Yeah. What are you going to do? I saw I saw how this guy with the funny hat and all the flair, like the buttons all over his hat, to who to to be like in, in good character to to be this nice little old man pediatrician. The moment we said we're not going to do it, you could see the devil in his eyes. He snapped like he twisted his eye. His pupils got bigger. It was the creepiest freaking thing I've ever seen. And I said, I saw, I saw 
your mask slipped. Funny story. <laughs> well, when I went to the VA for my last checkup, um, my um, blood sugar was 4.2. And listen, when I get when I got out of the army and then uh, I closed my business, I let myself go. I felt bad for myself. I was drinking a lot. I was drinking sodas. My uh, blood sugar, what do you call it? The AO1 was like 6.2. I was pre-diabetes before I finally said I need to take my health back. And then he was like, oh, look, you're doing good. 175 pounds. Your blood sugar is 4.2. How about, and then he goes, oh, it says here you haven't gotten your your COVID shot. Oh, God. Yeah, and I was like, oh, and he was like praising me. He was like, I've never seen anybody take the AO1 down from 6.2 to 4.2 in, in this amount of period of time. You've lost 40 pounds, blah, blah, blah. Okay, let's give your COVID shot. Just propping what? me up the whole time. I'm like, no, bro, I'm yeah. good. And then just, he was like, pull your mask up. Don't look at me. I mean, just totally degrade me from praising me to grade me in such amount of time. Led me to believe, I really think these guys that their salaries are based on a quota for this COVID shot. Cause he totally oh, just turned me off. They make, they make, um, the med- well, I mean, half those guys are probably in the brotherhood to begin with, but oh, yeah. those who may not be, they make the schooling so expensive and the insurance so expensive that to go to those golf trips, you have to get the incentives and the kickbacks from the pharmaceutical companies and people who don't know this, guess who writes all the textbooks for the medical schools? The people who create all the drugs. Yep. So you're not going to have a different opinion, a holistic way or a homeopathic method. It doesn't exist in those schools. You only know pill this, pill that, pill this, pill that, shot this, shot that. And if you are not thinking on your own because you're indoctrinated in those eight years, you're never going to know the difference. And you're going to think because you've been taught to treat everybody else like they're damn idiots because they don't know what you know because you're special boy. You know, you have a special title. You you went through the indoctrination camp. They didn't. They don't. They're not in this. So they're 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 they're, they're worthless. You can talk all nice to them, and you should because you want them to do what you tell them to do. Correct. And yeah, and why do you think they wanted me to have that that test before I I took a sur- had that surgery? You know, if, if worst case scenario, they say I'm positive, and they get thirteen grand for it, right? Best case scenario for them is they take the test prior to the surgery. I die on the operating table and the anesthesia, and then they can get $40,000 yep. because I died of COVID, right? Not with COVID, but of COVID. Same deal, same thing with them as far as the paperwork is concerned. So that's why they want everybody to test before they go under anesthesia because, hey, cool, there's an opportunity for you to die here and we can part you out, you know, your organs here and there. So we might as well give you that test first. And you know what? If you have to go four inches into my head, but I have to stand six feet away from somebody in order for them not to get it. Something's not right there. You know, why, why can't I just spit in a little cup? If, if it's, if I have to be six feet away from you and I'm contagious, the air around me should be enough for you to test. You don't need to touch me with anything. Yep. And, and for those of you listening on the download, Daniel was involved in an accident a couple months ago. And, uh, I'm just paraphrasing, please. If I start to stray off. Uh, yeah. 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 No, it's yeah. But um, basically, he needed surgery. He went to get surgery. They wanted to test him for COVID before the surgery. He refused, and they in turn refu- refused surgery, correct? Yes, twice. Twice. So yeah, th- this is where we're at. They don't care about your injury. They want to make sure that they um, get that COVID money, first and foremost. They don't care about your physical well-bearing. They want to make sure that you are tested for COVID first. 
And now, and um, are, are you 100% I had a broken hand. Or... I wasn't, I w- no, no, no. <laughs> like this hand, the thumb is all pushed forward because this bone here is longer because it, it healed on its own, but at two millimeters off the mark because they never plated it down. And they can't break so it to fix it it's again. Pushing my hand. They said because it's a vertical cut break, that to redo that is usually horrible, horrible results, detrimental fragments, splinters, all this stuff. If it was this way, it'd be a different story. But when it's vertical with the bone, it's not a good idea. So I'm stuck with this. I'm already working on trying to get some kind of remedy from the people that told me no. My my surgeon agreed to do it without the test. The board from the from the hospital got involved and interloped and 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 stopped it from happening. Really? Is that is that insane or not? The board got involved. I got this call from a private number because they're cowards saying I'm Liz Chapman and I want to let you know that you can keep your appointment for your for your surgery tomorrow, but you have to go through a test. I go, I just went through all this. Yes, but it was the board's decision. The board, can you tell me their names? Do you know that I have affidavits filed in this? No. And I, I looked her up later on, and she, she works with nurses and like legal issues that they come, come across. So as soon as I said affidavits and I said, I'm sorry, what was your name again? Click. Oh. Real professional. Oh. Oh. She hung up on me. Wow. Not knowing that it just pops up in my MyCare, what her name is, right? And, and my portal for the website, like to get my, my medical information. Her name's right there. I can see it. I just wanted her to re- reiterate her nonsense for me one, one more time. Uh, you know, three times is law, right? So, And now because, I know it's funny that the, the previous 50 flu seasons, or in your case, 40 some, that we've had. Not once did you go to the emergency room and say, well, we need to check to make sure you don't have the flu or you have a bad cold before you fix you. Normally, I, it's... I, I asked, yeah. <laughs> I asked her, well, you're cutting me up and I got bl- there's going to be blood, right? So right. why don't you test me for AIDS? But you, oh, we, can, we know how to handle AIDS. We don't know what this other stuff is. Because they were talking about, she was talking about the Delta variant, but not saying it. I go, if you don't know what it is, how do you have a test for it? And have they ever isolated (laughs) the Delta variant and said, this is what they never isolated anything. Exactly. They never isolated anything. If you want to look at, uh, I will send you the links to Dr. Andrew Kaufman. He goes through all the papers that claim that they did this thing. And then through the paper, if you actually read it, they didn't follow the Koch's postulate. They didn't isolate it. They didn't um, purify it. And they and they didn't find a full strand of of it to actually claim it as being something different than something else. If you know anything about like DNA and genetics, like we're ninety six percent of what is it? I think ninety. I think it's eighty something percent of a cat, but like ninety six percent of a of a of a monkey. But we're not monkeys and we're not cats, right? So that that little that little part that's missing is makes all the difference. Absolutely. To say that it's not part of us. Exosomes that our body naturally secretes during time of illness to get rid of toxins and other things like that, they are communicating information to other parts of your body, different cells. Those exosomes typically are the ones that are considering out of the virus. So what they're really doing is they're saying that you are testing positive for your immune system. And then they're going, so anybody who doesn't even know that they're sick because they're not, because their immune system is taking care of it. They're gonna, those exosomes are going to be called the virus, and then you're going to be testing positive for something they don't have. So, sorry, I don't buy any of their science from top to bottom. It's all it's all pharmacia sorcery and deception and fraud. And, and I don't find they, it. They, they they just made they made a fantasy land out of out of medicine, and yes. and everybody just follows to it because we've been taught that we're stupid and they're smart. A hundred percent. And anybody who thinks it's just a coincidence that Carrie Mullins died. 
in August of 2019 when he was the one guy that they would have not been able to deplatform. He was the one guy, Mm -hmm. Pulitzer Prize winning guy who created the PCR test. Perfectly healthy guy. Just died August 2019. And he gave he gave them all, uh, all kinds of grief during the HIV AIDS yep. connection when he, they were trying to conflate the two and say that one was one begets the other. He's like, well, can you show me the paper? You don't need a paper. That's what they said to him. You don't need a paper. Like, well, I need to see the study that proves that. He's like, no, you just go ahead and say it. No, I'm not going to do that. Well, and there's Fauci have... again with the AZT. He was part of that too. <laughs> yes, he was. He, he screwed up AIDS. There was a big, the San Francisco Times or Chronicle, whatever it's called, big front page article back in 89, just saying what a disaster he was. Uh, yeah. But you can't stop the agenda. You can't stop. 20 the years later, everybody forgets everything. Yep, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was a hell of a yeah, night, it's brother. Been it's been, it's been great. Uh, you are you going to have the full un- uninterrupted audio of this? Yes, right now we are at three hours and thirty seven minutes. Uh, and actually, the little break we had when it fell apart, I was able to play a little music. So everybody has oh, cool. about a three minute interlude, and eventually I might right. give a little proper intro and stuff. But I think raw audio is its best, and uh, I think people are going to love this. I'll kick this out as a podcast. And again, um, if you want to p- support. Um, Stefan Verstappen, please go to chinastrategies.com. Um, and if you want to support Daniel, there's a couple ways you can go on to uh, which social media site do you prefer the most, Josh, who or YouTube? Oh, yeah, I don't really even post on YouTube anymore. I have two strikes and I didn't really do anything to I'm get the, the second one. So, yeah, joshutv.com backslash channel backslash ballbusters, and the two Bs are capitalized. And I'm also on brand new tube and it's just brand new tube.com backslash the at symbol, which is strange after a backslash, but, but uh, at all busters. And uh, as far as. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fine. That's fine. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just gonna, I was just going to say like, I have, um, I put, I put together a PayPal just specifically for ball busters. If anybody wants to help me get better equipment or something like that, then they can do that. But I don't know what I'm doing here. Honestly, this is kind of like a hobby. It's kind of important to me to do this. I don't know if it's something that I want to ask people to support. I don't know. Well, you should because uh, you know you're going to get some listeners from this podcast. And then, if you want legitimately, my wife, uh, she's Hungarian. Remember, (laughs) first generation American. Kaiser Um, Soze. Yeah, <laughs> and she's all about uh, the spicy stuff. And uh, awesome, that's they, loves... they like spicy over there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She loves the uh, what do you call the uh, the spice, the paprika. Oh, okay, right? yeah, Hungarian yeah. paprika. Obviously, there's a sweet, but she will anytime people. chicken is on the table. Your uh, uh, when pigs fly better be on the table because the meal is not starting until she gets her when pigs fly. Uh, it that's is her awesome. favorite hot sauce in the world and if you guys want some of the best hot sauce you've ever tasted just go to semperfryllc.com it's veteran owned two person family business uh, they're on Instagram <laughs> they're in San Diego they're open daily 11am to 8pm and they custom make each order so you know where these ingredients are coming from um, um, and it's just fantastic I, I don't know what else to say oh and if you guys have international listeners listen guys the EU has destroyed commerce worldwide as far as bringing anything into your country. I've canceled uh, the last couple I've gotten. I've got one from Denmark and I got one from 
Netherlands that I had, they're the returning customers, but I, they, there's another 20% tax that the EU wants to be paid up front. Really? Or they're going to hit you with it when you go to pick up your package. Wow. And it's another 20, and then the 20% isn't just the cost of the goods. It's the cost total. So if your shipping was 80 bucks because it's coming from the Americas, they're going to take 20 more percent off of that. It, 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 they're, they're purposely defeating it so that it doesn't make sense. It's not cost effective to send stuff to you guys anymore. Bottles are heavy. It's not like a t-shirt. A bottle is a, is a pound. You put, you put one bottle in the box, you got to charge a two pound rate because if it's 1.1 pounds, they, they just go to the, the second pound. Mm. So it's, it, it's really, you know, I can't do anything about it, but I, I let them know ahead of time before, Hey, surprise, you got to pay 40 bucks to pick up your package that you already spent 130 bucks on. I'm trying to let them know ahead of time. I'm like, you know, I totally understand. It's just this IOSS portal thing that they want me to pay for. Now that's like a VAT tax or something like that they call it. It's all the EU and they're, in, they're intentionally trying to destroy international commerce. I think, I think it sounds, that I way. mean, what else, why else would you need a 20% tax on things like that? On top of everything else that they already hit you with in your own country. So if you live in Sweden and you want to taste the best hot sauce in the world, you're going to have to pack your Come family up and move to the United States. Right. <laughs> uh, or just go to Afghanistan and wait to be evacuated back here to the United States. You can move here for free. There you go. You get all kinds of incentives. Unbelievable. And I'm sure uh, they're getting fat paid free, free cell phones, all kinds of good stuff. Yep. All well, right. I mean, it's easier to track people that way and make yeah. sure that they get into the voting booth where they need to be. <laughs> yeah, say, vote Democrat or we will disintegrate this phone. <laughs> right. All With right. <laughs> and then for all, all things Fact Hunter, go to thefacthunter.com. You can email me at thefacthunter at mail.com. Follow me on Twitter uh, at thefacthunter. Um, you know the deal. Um, this is three minutes or three hours, 45 minutes of just raw audio. Uh, maybe this weekend, if I have time, I'll doctor it up and put a proper intro. But uh, this was just fantastic stuff, and I think everybody's going to enjoy it. Uh, make sure you support Dan. Make sure you support Stefan. And uh, everybody, take care of yourself. Keep your head on a swivel. Until next time, folks, we will see ya. We're for people, for individuals and families alike, for locals and brand-new neighbors, for these cities we call home. We're for community that's strong and growing stronger. For anyone pushing through a tough season, for second chances, for finding your purpose and the courage to chase it down. We are CCV. We are for you and we are for the Valley. 11 locations to choose from. CCV.church to learn more. Advanced security from Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi protects your connected devices from online threats 24-7. But hey, you're probably safe without it. Probably. Like how that free streaming website was probably not a scam. Someone's probably not stealing your bank info as we speak to buy a four-story Chalet Grand. Yeah, you're probably fine. Or you could know your network is covered with advanced security from Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Restrictions apply. Copyright 2020 Cox Communications, Inc. All rights reserved. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.